five ordinary people needed a miracle. Help us, somebody. Then one night, Faye Riley left the window open. Welcome to America. This is history. Machines that reproduce themselves. They're spaceships. From a very small planet. Steven Spielberg presents a Matthew Robbins film. Batteries not included. Now playing at a theater near you, check your local... The future of rock and roll. I turn from the wall. I stumble and fall. But I give it my all. I am a woman in love. And I can do anything in my world. Come on, you little Barbara Streisand over and over again. With Barry Gibb, I think, think too. What will I do? Deanne, you have the voice of an angel. We may be oceans away, <laughs> but I give you my love. I'm sorry. I was in a um, Barbara Streisand slash um, Gibbs. What's his name? I think it's Barry Gibbs on that. Barry, yeah. album. He's the, the one that yeah. worked with her. My mom had those tapes. Yeah, so did mine. My mom had the whole... I knew Chris Christopherson as a singer prior to knowing him as an actor. And, no, that sounds stupid because he was an actor prior. He was a singer prior to as an actor, but I mean... I knew him through the the Barbra Streisand albums. There's a couple where like they're on the LPs, just like in black and white, like kissing yeah. or you know, hugging from like the naked from the waist <laughs> up. Yeah, you know, or uh, Chris Richard Harris too. I had a couple of the weird Richard Harris albums where he sings in the '70s. My mom had. So, um, but welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. You're here tuning in for all Barbra Streisand, <laughs> all Barbra Streisand, uh, all the time. We're talking about Gentle. <laughs> all this kind of stuff uh you're gonna love it she made a quirky Um, movie in the 70s called uh for pete's sake okay but uh it's fun i recommend it to anybody who has not seen for pete's sake it's a good one who's in it is uh what's his face in it it sounds like something that would be like um, i forget who plays pete george siegel or somebody or albert brooks you know Someone who would, <laughs> or John someone you would recognize from like seventies television and uh, movies and stuff, but I, I can't. His name is Dabney Coleman. Me. It's got some crazy plot too, where like she becomes a. I you know what. I'm not even going to go into it. Just <laughs> if you're looking for some weird, quirky seventies Barbara Streisand, uh, you know, off the beaten path uh, movie, go check out for Pete's sake. Oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> Which we'll be I'll doing next. Little, uh, we'll be secret. doing that next month on the show. Yeah, for our anniversary, we'll be covering Barbara Streisand. <laughs> um, uh, I will tell the audience a little secret that I am obsessed with, like a middle-aged, late sixties to early seventies Dabney Coleman. I think he looks always looks sweet looking with this with the beard, and you know he's always walking around and showing up in the quirkiest places you know he's on canon or he's on like a columbo and you're like oh what are you doing here dabney coleman he's in what is he in bad ronald maybe i think he's uh the father in that movie too so it's like you know he just shows up and you're like dabney coleman hey 
Good, anyway. Good old Dabney. So, 9 to 5, that's another big one for me, you know? I love, when, that was one of the, when I was little, that was big on the uh, movie channel. I feel like I saw you know, that at the movies. It was a huge movie when I it came out, it was tied in with the song. That's something we should I do. <laughs> not I feel like my mom dragged me to that. She wanted to see it. That was when it was What's Your Face was big, um, you know, because I remember after that seeing The Incredible Shrinking oh, yeah. Woman. Uh, remember remember how Lily, Lily Tomlin, Tomlin, remember how big all that was and her and her, you know, the operator and her sitting in the chair when she's really small in the big chair. <laughs> I, think that was, I think those are, those are two different things. But we're here on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers this week. We're, we're diverting. We're not, Blake and I have been up all night. We're not covering Dabney Coleman or Lily Tomlin today. <laughs> or Barbara Streisand. Uh, Dion was just listening to her on the car, in the car on the way over and really grooving. You don't, you don't realize um, how comfortable you are with your sexuality when you're a heterosexual just sitting at the light blasting Barbara Streisand's I'm a Woman in Love. And you're getting people looking at you. You know, like cars are pulling up in New York City with reggaeton going out of the right or... Some really dirty hip hop song, and I'm there like you know, uh, what do I do? <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, we come over tonight, and Blake and I are, are we got our masks on. We're sitting six feet apart. We're social distancing. Um, uh, we are in uh, Blake's parents' basement because uh, Blake's mom and dad were nice enough to let us over, and uh, uh, his stepdad Rob was really really nice. You know, he made us some food, <laughs> you know, that we didn't have to touch and stuff like that. And, and uh, we finished all of our Elios, and, we, and then, then we got hyper because we were drinking some Mega Joke Cola, and we ran around, and we had a lot of fun, social distancing, and now we've kind of lost all our yeah. energy. And we sat down, like, crap, we have, to, we have to do a record. We watched a movie tonight. We built a, so. uh, we built a Johnny Five out of Constructs. Oh my god, it was so awesome! <laughs> and we got them to be about four feet high, and then we couldn't find the 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 because the constructs in the early days had the robotic mechanism, so you could put a battery and it can move, and we couldn't find that part. So we built the whole damn thing, and he looks so realistic. <clears throat> yeah, Dion brought over and his then, constructs. Uh, and I had my constructs, and we combined them to build, trying to build yeah. a life size Johnny Five. And then when Blake's mom came down halfway through and gave us some hot chocolate, she's like, how are you guys going to know which constructs are yours? And we said, shit, because I have the white ones and I have the, like, the brown ones, the military set, and so does Blake. So Blake has like the space ones. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so I was obsessed. Constructs as a kid, everybody had like Legos or uh, uh, older than us had erector sets or that other really weird thing where it was um, – the pl- you can make buildings. You remember that? It was like plastic, and you you put like you could stack them almost like I beams and make a square building or whatever. And then you could put a piece of plastic on it, and it'd be a wall. Yeah, um, that's late seventies. Anyway, I was so obsessed with constructs, I would build everything to play with the GI Joes or whatever. So I, as a child, I built every conceivable vehicle. Bet the Batmobile, the train from the Fugitive, uh, you know, rocket ships. Uh, uh, bombers and 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 I it was constructs were so awesome because you could build whatever you wanted if you watched a movie or something or and then you could play with the things and then destroy it and then you could put it back together so I really was a constructs kid just you know jamming out hours on end sitting there in my underwear and the you know uh, not knowing what a boner was playing with my constructs. <laughs> 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 <Is that> how- <laughs> Is that how you mark? <laughs> That's how you mark periods of your life. Was this before exactly. I knew what a boner was? <laughs> yeah, it was pre-boner. Uh, BB, <laughs> before boner. I was like, yeah, I mean, I was there. I was like, what, does, what is this thing supposed to be doing? 
I don't understand it, you know? So, uh, yeah, so we made the construct set, and I was quite pleased with ourselves, but that's what took all night. So, um, But we're covering tonight's Short Circuit, which um, uh, is a surprise one. I wonder how, uh, if people remember this, certainly people our age will. Um, I don't know how, if younger people will know it uh, quite well, but I feel like when we were little, this was a huge movie. The second one didn't do so well, but this was almost like a, a tent pole in my childhood of, you know, representation of the 80s was something like this, you know? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it was a big movie. I mean, look, th- there's certain things that look maybe from someone who grew up after the 80s doesn't realize, but and maybe they do just by watching, but there are certain things that were uh, big in the 80s. One was ninja. Yeah, exactly where I was. One go. was ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Check. And one of them was also robots. Robots were fucking big, man. And yeah, uh, yeah. pirate movies, treasure, buried treasure, buried treasure, uh, uh, mansions with like passway passages. Yeah, so secret, you know, secret, like Webster <laughs> clue. Secret passages were big. Yeah. Uh, uh, going on an adventure, treasure hunts, finding a treasure, kids in peril, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as we've mentioned. Um, going to space, you know, like uh, the Explorers or Space Camp, yeah. two movies which probably would be fun to do on here. Or having actual freaking robots. And this is one of those movies where it was, uh, you know, uh, having a robot come alive in the age of R2-D2 and CP3O and uh, all these other robots. You have the Terminator you had uh, the robotic um, uh, impersonator in um, Last Starfighter. Remember, t- tries to take him over. Yeah. Uh, Robocop. You have the replicants in Blade Runner. Robocop. Um, there's another uh, B movie that I don't remember that scarred me as a kid. Very B, where it's like guys uh, in the bayou or in the forest, and they're like the bottom half of him is like a tr- tank, and the top half is a dude. Do you remember this? And he's like, it's like all these scientifically engineered like. And it was one of those B I, pictures. I you made this, that, but that up. You know, so... <laughs> exactly. You don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, I, I did make that up. <laughs> you're that kid on the playground. That just, I saw this great movie. And the guy was half... He got, like, tank bottom and human top. <laughs> this reminds me of a... Uh, it's a very... Uh, a disturbing memory. It's like when I was in first grade. I, you know, I didn't really know how to read very well. So um, we were doing show and tell. And I went up and I had a book. And it was like a book on trucks. So I was like talking. The, you're supposed to be reading the book out loud. And I'm just, I was just explaining the pictures. <laughs> and it was clearly a book that was not, you know, it was, it was probably for like nine or ten year olds. And your first grade, you're like six or five. And I'm reading it. And then at some point of me rambling, the teacher goes, Dion. And I go, yes, Mrs. Benkowski. And she goes, you're not reading from that book, are you? And I go, no, Mrs. Benkowski. She goes, sit down, Dion. <laughs> and I just sat down. That's tragic. And I was like, and then years of therapy, years of therapy after that. <laughs> That makes me sad. So, yes, that, the kid that's just making things up, you know? It's just like oh, a little insight into uh, Dion. But um, th- this was, like, robots were big. And, you know, we go from cowboys and Indians in the 50s and 60s, as we said. And then in the 50s and 60s into the 70s, I feel like sci-fi replaced, like, our, our Western genre. We went to, you know, the space in the late 70s with... Um, you know, I mean, Irwin Allen with Lost in Space and stuff like that, but then in Star Trek and then in the 70s, we Star Wars and all that. Then we hit the 80s and robots are huge. You know, Robbie the Robot has morphed into this and now we have Johnny Five, you know, and um, this was a movie that I used to quote all the time when I was little. Like, you know, that 
that laugh like, hey, what is it? Hey, laser lips. Your mother was a snowblower. That was like geared to me. I thought that was freaking genius. That's a... Uh, you know, that was comedy right there in the Three Stooges stuff and all that stuff. Um, for years, and I can't tell you the last time I saw this movie, like, um, uh, a funny thing is I don't think I've ever seen the sequel all the way through because this movie, Short Circuit, I saw in the theater, and I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> it's really weird. My dad was, like, getting ready in the bathroom. He just took a shower. He's putting his clothes on. He's like, me and you are going to the movies today. I was like, I, we are. I was like, what are we going to see? He's like, Short Circuit. I remember the theater we went to, the movie theater, where it was, and then coming out afterward, loving it so much, and looking up at the sky, and it was about to rain. And I was like, wow, that was a great movie. And then several years later, my dad's like, we're going to see Short Circuit 2. And I'm like, okay. And that's what, I think early 88, maybe. We get in the car, and we get to the movie theater in the, and Blake, you remember the blockbuster in the Hamden, um, uh, right next to the bowling alley in the Hamden Plaza by the China uh, Chinese buffet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, that was our little area where we hung out. Uh, there used to be a big old movie theater there. And it, had, it was like like a two or three screener. And we went in and we're going to pay. And my dad's like, uh, we're not going to see uh, Short Circuit 2 today. We told your mother that. We're going to see the Deadpool. And that was the newest Dirty Harry movie. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, just don't tell your mother. So from this day, my mother thinks we went and saw Short Circuit 2 <laughs> in the theater. But we did not. <laughs> so I hope my mom isn't listening. So I never really saw that all the way through. But this was such a uh, iconic movie for me when I was little. Like, I loved it. You know, if, uh, Gutenberg was the biggest thing since Sliced Bread 2. So, you know... Uh, Cocoon was big, so all these movies were like the perfect, you know, I think the perfect sauce into this this baked, uh, perfect for a ten, you know, a nine, yeah. ten year old. I do think that we need to address uh, the elephant in the room before we get started, which is Fisher Stevens's performance, and just make a disclaimer. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um. Yeah, it's 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 a hard thing to grasp because that was the first time I'd ever seen him, and for years I only knew him. Oh, he's the guy from um, uh, from Short Circuit. So when I was little, you know, I didn't at all realize that it wasn't. You know, it's 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 I don't know. It's weird because it wasn't like to me, you know, apparent. It was done so well, and I don't know if I'm not making a judgment on this, yay or nay, if it's pro or con. I just didn't realize. So for years, I actually thought he was an Indian. Yeah, you know, I thought he was Asian. You know, it's like it's like that's what. Until I started seeing him in other roles, I was like, oh wow, he's not. You know, but we come from a generation where, uh, not to sound like we're elderly, but that wasn't frowned upon necessarily. And again, that's not making a judgment. That's just you know that was and. To me, it wasn't so galling as, you know, blackface was, was, you know, it's like, oh, okay, they made a choice, but we weren't judging it. Or Remo Williams, where you have Joel Gray playing Asian face, you know, uh, we're like, oh, you know, that's kind of interesting they went that way. Um, but he did it here, and, and I guess now in, in these years when people are looking back and retroactively judging uh, times and eras, that it does seem inappropriate, you know, and offensive to people. But... Um, I don't know. I you know you can't defend it, right? So it's like if I say like, oh, you know, I I, I laughed at it. Does that mean I'm malicious? And I, I I think he was making fun of a culture. No, I just thought it was funny. I always took from it that he was uh, just being awkward because of a language barrier. Like he he's so smart and he's so intelligent, and then he's a nerd. So I always took it like that. It wasn't like he was trying to be a buffoon, like a step and fetcher or something that was making fun of the race. You know, what do you think here? Well, I mean, I think clearly. 
uh, it's uh, racially insensitive, but as to Dion's point, it's at a time where uh, the the I'd say the the main most people and and specifically the industries weren't necessarily racially sensitive, so <laughs> it was a it was definitely a, a time, and uh, it would never be done today. Uh, also, to Dion's point, I mean. It's a, it's a really it's a tough it's a weird and tough uh thing to address uh only because I I agree with you but I also agree that he is like comic relief. And so even if yeah, that character was and he's even, to me the funniest part of the movie. And even if he was even if that character was played by somebody Indian it would probably still be viewed uh as something like a negative portrayal of an Indian person. Well, I mean, like look at like a like a gung ho right, with Michael Keaton. I mean, they're, we're making fun of the language barrier there of them coming in. So does that, you know, is that and then that might be, you know, or it's weird because I don't know. You know, I we watched it with my wife. My wife is English, and uh, well, my wife and I watched it a couple nights before because I hadn't seen it in so many years. And then I was like, I want to watch this with Blake, and she's like, Well, I want to watch too. So I, we, her and I watched it, and we talk about it, and she was like. When I brought it up, you know, I was saying, you know, I wonder why they didn't, you know, this conversation. And she's like, well, why didn't they cast an Indian? You know, because in, in England, they, you know, there was a lot of Indian actors, Asian actors. And I wonder in Hollywood if it was a, it wasn't a bias issue, but it was more of a monetary issue. They didn't know that they would be able to get somebody that would play well. It's like Ben Kingsley playing Gandhi. It's like maybe they're looking at a star that might bank well or do the performance as opposed to them. Now we would, there's a lot of people in the community. So, I, you know what I mean? I wonder if it's just them thinking like, oh, we got to put Hollywood actors in it because, you know, it's going to be playing. They never thought of marketing yeah. or, or bringing somebody else in. I mean, Temple of Doom, we have quite huge Bollywood actors and stuff, but I don't know. I'm not up on the Bollywood industry, so I don't. I think that only came to be in the '80s. You know, the big, 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 big thing. So you wonder if they had options, if they ever were thinking of casting it. Yeah. Actually, with the ethnicity. Well, in mind. I mean, it's hard. You know, with the we we often I'll often put a disclaimer in terms of like stuff that you find online. I mean, everything's alleged. You know, it's we we don't know the truth of information that you find online. But from what I found from doing a little bit of research is that apparently Fisher Stevens was originally either considered or cast in that part. And that part was not Indian, was American originally. And then from what I understand, it's hard to piece together because it's from a few different sources and each source is worded slightly differently. I listened to the... I listened to the audio commentary, so it's out of the director's mouth what you're saying. So this is this is the story he recited. And then from what else I heard was, and then maybe this is in the commentary, maybe it's not, that then they decided and they cast Bronson Pinchow. They recast it with Bronson Pinchow because Bronson Pinchow does like these funny ethnic characters like Balky Bartokomus. This was before Balky Bartokomus. That they then went and rewrote that character where the comedy was coming from things like misinterpretation of language barrier and his misinterpretation of English in whatever native language he was from. And then Bronson Pinchel then got Perfect Strangers and left the film to do Perfect Strangers. 
and they brought back Fisher Stevens and now they asked Fisher Stevens to create a character for the that was now written to be foreign. <laughs> and I, like, yeah. like I said, I don't know if this is true, but then so that he's in the awkward position where he now has to play a foreign character, which wasn't originally intention. And I guess he could have said no, but at that point he you know, not that he was ever a huge star, but you know, he was an actor and needed some work. I mean, and uh, so he took the part and then it's, apparently researched and actually lived in India for like five weeks to kind of find that character and then come back. Yeah, that uh, that I don't know if if that I don't know if that's uh, the last point is is actual fact that said that's what we've learned on the internet from what listening to the audio commentary everything you just said um uh batham the director said that the, exactly what you said they, they brought him in fisher uh they were having a lot of different people read and then they got bronson bronson was a rising star at that point prior to perfect strangers and they were looking for something to interject some comedy into the role and what i think this plays into a little later is because of casting gutenberg uh, we read the novelization for this by Colin Wedgelock, and the novelization is very interesting because it has a lot of elements that aren't addressed in the movie that I think they changed. Um, Gutenberg's character was supposed to be a lot more um, uh, uh, inward, awkward, a lot of what you see with the... Um, with with the Ben <clears throat> the Ben character Fisher Stevens's character, so I think with the casting of Gutenberg, they wanted to interject somebody into the mix that could be the comic relief. So when they had Bronson Penshaw there, they said, "Can you do something funny?" And I think he was the one that's like, "Oh, I can do ethnic," and he brought because if you look at, I mean, you could probably go as far as to call perfect strangers racially insensitive now even though it's a make you know bartakamus you know and all that kind of stuff and um uh, mipos is all fictional you know who knows if people would still be offended nowadays so bronson penshaw he does he does a a, a a performance that they liked and they they thought it was hilarious and then like you said and the director substantiates that they that he he leaves to go do perfect strangers because he gets a network show so they bring Fisher back and they kind of put this on Fisher and he's like scared to death. Like, I don't, what are you talking about now? I have to do freaking Indian, you know? So he ended up doing it. But as a child, I mean, to me, how they made him up, I didn't, I, you know, I could never tell. And I don't know if that's a judgment on, you know, you can't judge children and their interpretation. They're not going to realize what, what's going on here. It's just funny to them, you know? So uh, in the book, his real name is Ben Chigger, C-H-I- G-G-E-R, Thurley. And they never really give you a definitive that he is uh, uh, Asian of an Indian descent. But what's weird is he does say um, uh, Sahib a lot. Uh, Sabib. And Sabib, I th- if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, is means uh, Mr. or Master in Indian. It's like it's like a very cordial like Sir or, or when you address somebody. Sahib, Sabib. Sahib. So he says that a lot. So it's, but there's none of the language barrier, which I think was Fisher came up with as improvisation, the funny jokes of the awkward language, him saying stuff wrong. None of that is in the book or in earlier drafts of the script. I think that's all through improvisation. So it becomes an amalgam of everything happening, coalescing, because Gutenberg, since we're getting right down to it right now, listen, I love Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. 
Uh, he's amazing. You know, I love him in straight roles like uh, the boys from Brazil or freaking uh, Cocoon. And I love his comedy. You know, police academies were, were staples for us growing up, as well as Three Men and a Little Baby and, and his other things. But in this movie, it's weird. And I don't want to throw any shade on Gutenberg, but Gutenberg is just being Gutenberg in the movie. You know, he's just being this, ah, you know, he's got this weird way of behaving and that's who he is. So I, um, Austin Peddleston, who we had on the show before, uh, for the Muppet movie, playing um, um, Charles Durning's uh, limo driver. Hey there, Charles Durning. <laughs> he, he, in a recent discussion, and I always got to throw Charles Durning in there. Hey, little boy. Uh, was it Everybody Loves a Mailman? Uh, it, Austin Peddleston was saying in an interview quite recently, 2015, he's like, listen, I love Ali Sheedy. I love Steve Gutenberg. They're, they're great. Uh, actors and performers uh, I'm, and, he's, and I'm paraphrasing he's like I'm not judging them but it was the studio because this movie came out so quickly it was by an independent com- a company called Lard, uh, Laird Entertainment Studios and then it was pushed by TriStar they, they're the one who put it out so this happened so quickly the studios grabbed the two up and coming people uh, what's her face Sheedy just coming off of War Games which is also Batam had directed and then Gutenberg's hot because he had just I think done Cocoon so what Austin Peddleston says, it's like, you know, they're great, but, but if you read the original script, which I think is closer to the novelization, there was this great awkwardness because he's supposed to be a genius, uh, Gutenberg's character. And in this movie, he kind of comes off like silly. So there's some things where it's like, you know, you should really know that, uh, you know, Crosby. And then, and then he's not, you know, it's just he's just playing Gutenberg, where Austin references, like, if you had someone like a young Dustin Hoffman circa like, uh, uh, what's her name? A graduate. Um, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. You know, if you had that kind of more of a social awkwardness, it might have played a little differently. You might not needed the comic relief of the, uh, of the stereotype, you know. But it's really hard to distinguish for people to, you know, nowadays who are so judgmental and we don't want to get ourselves in trouble because we talked about f- this and falling down and we had like this nasty person calling us right, like right-wing extremists because we were just talking about it. <laughs> we're not even casting judgments. You know, we're just... We're just we're just saying, hey, this is what happened back then. Um, it's weird because, like I said, I never, uh, you know, I, I, it, it may be because it's the ignorance of a, of, a, of a social type, but I thought he was great. I never found him demeaning. It's just for me was always played as the social, you know, he's a genius. It's like a gun, gun ho. It's like I'm not, they're not, it's it, again, or taking of the pill on one, two, three is a perfect example where it's like, you know, uh, the joke was always the, the, the language barrier. So you're not necessarily degrade because then you see the come up is in taking the Pell one, two, three at the end, the Japanese, uh, the, the commission from the, the Japanese subway system, know English the entire time. And then, you know, they, they Landau has been saying, Oh, well, not Landau. Walter Matthau has been saying the, the, the most stupidest stuff. And then they're like, thank you very much. Have a good day. And that's the joke. So it's like, almost like gung ho. It's like, there's that, you know, oh, it, there's a language barrier, and that's funny, but you're not necessarily making fun of, like, the older movies, like, with Blackface, or, like I said, the Step and Fetcher, or the uh, Birmingham Brown, where they were making fun of a, of a genre and, and, and a race, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, I just think it's a, I think it's a fine line, and I can see both yeah. sides of the argument. I just thought it was worth mentioning, just to say, like, look, we are, we're aware <clears throat> of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't want to have any upset anybody because of and, that. Uh, uh, 
aside from this conversation that went longer than I thought it was going to go, like we're probably not going to address it too much throughout the rest of the, of the of this discussion. But I thought it was worth sure. saying, like, look, we're aware of it. We're not ignoring it, but we're recognizing that, look, this movie is from 1986 and things were viewed differently then. And whether they were right or wrong is not what the sh- it's, it's not the discussion that we're having on this show. It's, uh, you know, get it out in the open and that way we can just move on and talk about the movie. Yeah, and I think it goes long just because if later on we're talking about how funny or, or talking about how he is, there's not an endorsement of either here or no, there. I mean, we are talking about you know, the, the comedy to, or the character and the dialogue. Yeah, the that's what I mean. So I think <laughs> playing a, an, an ethnicity yeah. that's not their own. I feel like you're right. We have to put it out there because we don't want to be coming off like we're judging like oh this is fucking great you know um it's like joel silver and remo that seems a little more glaring to me you know now as opposed to back then you know or even back then i was like wow i don't think he's really asian you know uh uh, joel gray but that you know so it's that seems a little more than today so um i don't know but as a kid i never knew fisher stevens was not um indian until much later I saw him in other things and he didn't have the accent. I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And, I mean, that's something like, look at Peter Sellers, you know, uh, in, what is that, The Party, you know. Uh, He's playing an Indian actor, so it it gets into that level of, you know, again, I think that's about the social awkwardness of of, of misunderstanding of languages and cultures and stuff. But um, it's it's really touchy ground nowadays. So, um, you know, what else can you do except just throw it out there and run? Yeah. So um, it's not the it's not the show we do to dress. Not the time <laughs> of the place. <laughs> we're aware of it, uh, but again, we we're know. sensitive to it, and uh, but that's not our show. So anyway, no. uh, this is what I. There's a lot of things I find interesting about this movie. I hadn't if if I've seen this movie in its entirety. It hasn't been since like 1987 or 1988 when I would visit my dad on the weekends or in the summer. And it was playing on HBO or Prism, which was a Philadelphia area <laughs> movie channel. Um, so this is not necessarily a movie that I grew up with a ton of nostalgia for, uh, but I, certainly I was aware of it and I recognized the you know number five and and you know the di- some of the dialogue and and whatnot. But uh, as a huge fan of. Uh, War Games, I've I. It's interesting that this is like the these are the two War Games and Short Circuit are like the two John Badham, uh, uh, Ali Sheedy like anti-war movies, <laughs> which I think is like negative view on on the way possibly one could view like the way the military is a is a is a, a pro, is a contending with the cold war or at least the hollywood view of that um yeah which i think is really interesting and john badham uh is an interesting director in that he's kind of started in television doing episodes of things like night gallery and streets of san francisco kung fu police story all throughout the 70s uh there's a show i'm watching right now with george uh kennedy called sarge only did one season phenomenal 
He also did a show called Blue Knight. These are two different things. But Sarge, he's a retired cop that comes becomes a priest, so he's a Sarge retires. Great show. Yeah. Early like Father Dowling, but about him had done a couple episodes yeah. of that, and he did a couple of episodes of Canon, like you said, Streets of San Francisco, and. A lot of you see a lot of those great directors. Uh, Donner is another guy that comes to mind really quickly. Or a little earlier is uh, Frankenheimer that did a lot of TV work. Even Spielberg, right? Spielberg comes out of this. So there's another great show called The Sixth Sense from the '70s. No relation to the Bruce Willis movie, but it was kind of a Rod Serling, I think, related property where there was these two people who go investigate paranormal stuff uh, in a show format. And Batman did a couple episodes of that too uh, before he kind of. You know, blew up, and, and as you said, Night Gallery too. Yeah, uh, and he does our our um, Dracula with with well, Frank yeah, Angela, well, which I didn't. Yeah, realize. so he did. He did a yeah. bunch of television movies, but then he did uh, Saturday Night Fever, which was a huge hit, and he did in '79. He did Dracula with uh, Frank Langella and great score by John Williams. But he also did like Blue Thunder, like I said, War Games. He did American Flyers, yep. which is a movie I, I have a fondness for. A Stakeout. Another stakeout, yeah. burn on a wire. Both stakeouts, yeah. Hard way, uh, heart, burn on a wire, drop zone, <laughs> point of no return, yeah, point of no return. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's got some staples under his nick of time, you know. So he's got some staples into our butt, which are cl- cl- you know, uh, Saturday night movies, um, Saturday night movie sleepovers, uh, Saturday night fever. Uh, arguably started the whole disco almost revolution so he's got a credit for that and then the stakeout movies were huge when we were little uh though it's that's almost like the bull durham kind of territory or you know or, or minor league you know uh and you know of course point of no return was big in the early 90s for us la femme nikita so uh uh, in the hard way, I've only seen once, but I loved it. I remember, I still remember like the beats in the movie, um, and that's a movie I, I need to revisit. Which is, you know, it's such a probably a time capsule. But you don't realize there's a lot of people in this related to this movie that have been uh, frequent flyers on Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. So I guess w- as we go through, we're gonna touch it. There, do you remember Fisher Stevens' first movie that uh, he's in uh, that you and I love? Um, uh, I'll give you a hint. There's a Tom Savini connection. No. Jason Alexander. Oh, the burning? He's in the burning? Yeah, the burn. He's in the burning. He's one of the guys. He gets killed on the raft where it's like the, the, the hedge clippers go through his hand. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that's Fisher Stevens. So, you know, he's... And then he has a phenomenal episode of uh, Columbo in the late night, uh, late 80s where he plays like a really like asshole um, young director. And he, I think he kills somebody in Columbo, you know, for, like, who's the guest on this week? And it's like Fisher Stevens. He's like, oh, okay, thank you, sir. And then he realizes, and he's a real asshole to Fisher Stevens uh, through the show. Um, and then he's in Mario Brothers, too, right? And My Science Project, which is another 80s crazy clutch, uh, you know, 80s kind of really weird movie, like like an Explorers yeah. or something like that. But, um, hackers. He's in uh, Hackers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you got, you got the... Uh, the voice of Johnny Five, Tim uh, Blaney, he is Frank the Pug in the uh, Men in Black movies, and he was did stuff in the Flight of the Navigator, which is something we've, uh, you know, we've covered here. Um, but uh, Batum, <laughs> I guess we can get back. To <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah. as I was saying, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, I'm a big fan of War Games. I'm a big fan of Ali Sheedy. Uh, of course, she's been on the show because we did uh, 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 the Breakfast Club early on. 
Um, written by a, yeah. a writing team of S.S. Wilson and Brent Baddock, who uh, went on to write uh, Batteries Not Included, Sur- Short Circuit 2, yeah. Tremors, Ghost Dad, Heart, Heart and Souls, which is one of my faves. And, well, they're connected to Tremors. They did a lot of the sequels, I think, too, right? And then they even directed one of them. Yeah. So they're, they're all through the Tremors series. And uh, Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that, as we, and now that we're, like, as we're doing the shows... And, and Ghost Dad. Yeah, Ghost Dad, Cosby's Ghost Dad. They did that as well, yeah. And uh, now that we're, you know, like, I start looking at, like, who's shooting the movies, which I didn't do, or editing the movies, which I didn't do as much early on. And I discover that there's all these yeah. great cinematographers, like Nick McLean, who did this movie, who did uh, uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie, uh, and then a bunch yeah. of... Bunch of Dion picks, uh, Stoker Ace, Cannonball Run Two, City Heat, Stick, nice. but he also yeah. did Staying Alive, which is weird because that's the sequel to uh, Saturday Night Fever, and he also shot The yeah. Goonies, Spaceballs, and Mac and Me, which is great. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what I mean. There's a lot of people in this movie. That's why I just took that left turn. It's like there's a lot of people that are all frequent. You know, it's like oh, wow, we've already talked about him. We don't even realize. You know, there's stuff that they're all connected to. Yeah. Well, like David Shire. You know, we talked about the first David talked about David Shire for taking well Pelham one two three. He did the score for that, but he also returned with Return to Oz. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he, which is eighty six as well, right? Maybe. Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe the same year. But he also scored. He did. Yeah. Aside from the Bee Gees music, he did the score stuff for Saturday Night Fever. Um, and he uh, he was married to Talia Shire, uh, and he did a bunch uh, at one point, and so he did like the conversation uh, for Coppola, uh, and uh, he almost did Rocky, but turned it down to do uh, All the President's Men instead. And uh, so yeah, there's a great team of uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepover classic uh, <laughs> people working on this movie. We also we have Sid Mead coming back, who is the uh, effects futurist uh, uh, interpreter and uh, illustrator. He did um, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which we haven't done on here, but he did Blade Runner, which we covered. Uh, he did the the concept art. He created the cars, the, the concept art for the cars and what. Uh, he did Tron. He did 2010, where he got a lot of accolades for 2010. Uh, Aliens, Time Cop, uh, Elysium, and then Tomorrowland, which I liked, and that new Blade Runner 2049, and then. Uh, Eric Allard, which is like kind of a, the effects guy. Uh, every he started out Black Hole, and then he did um, he did Short Circuits. He did uh, Fifty Two Pickup, one of your favorites. He did um, the um, what's his name uh, Lost City of Gold, Quartermain, which was I think a uh, canon film. He did The Blob, which we covered on here, the remake. Uh, he did Back to the Future Two, FX Two, which we just covered this year. Yeah. Uh, he did uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Demolition Man, Waterworld, Alien Resurrection, Virus. Uh, he's got tons of stuff going now, and he's, uh, he just did, I forget what he looked, I looked at, but he just did something that's out in theaters now, Eric Allard. But he's a, in a, a legend in that field, too. So we do have a lot of left and right turns in here. You know, Tremors would be a movie we would cover <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. um, on this cast. And, uh, you know, so the writers of this... Um, you know, them going on to do that and uh, all those movies. It's like, and you, like you said, we glossed over Heart and Souls, but that's a movie that near and dear to your heart, as well as I remember the making of it on the um, 
Discovery Channel's movie magic, you know, how they did the bus crash yeah. for them to get killed at the beginning with a miniature work. Uh, and that's a obscure now Robert Downey Jr. movie. He did a lot of weird ones in the 90s. So uh, it, 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 you're right. There's a web. If you start going through it, it it's all connected again. Yeah. So it's just that's funny why we that, can't you know, do the show at Dion's parents' basement anymore because we have all the pictures and the bulletin boards with all the strings of yarn connecting everything. The yarn. Basically, yeah. You can't even we walk around my yarn. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. My mom was going to try to crochet and she's like, I don't have any yarn. And we have this big, thick, you know, red yarn that the cat tries to go after. So, um, so all these people for, come together and I'm sure we've missed stuff. It's really like we could do a cast in each one of these people's careers, especially um, the director, Badham, because you think about, you said Saturday Night Fever into um, him doing the Dracula, which was, I, I brought up that, I haven't seen that probably since it came out or when it was on movie channels, but I bring that up because me and Blake sometimes joke about the Franklin and Jello thing. Uh, but that was big when it came out. And Blue Thunder was huge. And I think that you could probably argue that greenlit the Airwolf series, but that was big with Roy Scheider, the, the, the uh, helicopter movie. So, and then when he does War Games, and then he does this movie, uh, Back to Back, uh, those are pretty... Um, technical computerish 80s movies you know uh, about technology and uh, a, a theme here is about you know life and and i mean even the they, they've coined the 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 sentence underneath is life is not a malfunction so it's interesting in the book as reading the novelization the character played by um what's his name from um uh police academy the bad guy who they they call him uh stoker or or uh uh, but or Scrotum, what's his <laughs> name? That they, they uh, Scroder, Scroder, yeah, G. W. Bailey, who shows up as the as the head of the. the he's very famous in the Police Academy movies. Uh, in the book, his name is E. G. Stonewall, and he. So I guess when they got the set, they they changed that to Scroder, call him Scrotum. Yeah, you know. Well, that guy, uh, that guy made a. I mean, that guy was in tons of seventies television. Uh, and yeah, he, the guy worked a ton, and so like you'll see him pop up. But for our generation, he really made like a name for himself playing like the asshole uh, guy in a uniform, like authority. Whether yeah. it's police academy, this or uh, mannequin, I think he's like the security guard yeah. who's an asshole. He's, the, he's like the buffoon. <laughs> yeah, he's an asshole idiot, but he's full of himself. And it's interesting here because. Technically, he's not. He's set up as the villain, but he's not really the bad guy, because at the end of the day, he has a just cause. He's just a real dick, and we can get to in the novelization. But at the end of the novelization, he's not fired by uh, them, as in the movie, because Pendleton's character ends up being more on his side. He's more of an asshole, as then Austin Pendleton kind of plays him to be sympathetic and sympathetic to Ali Sheedy and somewhat, yeah. but. Uh, he in in this movie he's not really um, uh, Stonewall um, the the authority he's not he's looking out for the best interests I mean he's a dick and asshole uh, but he's right you don't know this could have been a very different movie if you let this thing I'm sure there's movies that have been made like that there what's the Lance Henderson with the robot dog doesn't oh, yeah. that get loose from a, from a you know what I mean whatever I forget the name of that movie uh, but it's like this robot could have went out and wreaked havoc it could have really killed. It could have been like a Frankenstein. I mean, it really is almost the story of Frankenstein, which we kev- covered the Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. Is, is that here. movie called Man's Best Friend? Is that, was that what that movie's called? Yes. There you go. Yeah, Man's <laughs> Best Friend. Think, I can and remember the, it's a robot and a dog. I can remember the box yeah, the cover. cover at the video store. Yeah, but that's another. It's, that's the example of technology getting loose. And then so 
you know, it's it's they set him up in the book as like you said, it's 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 that he's a really asshole right winger. He's a he's an ex colonel that now has a job and he, he thinks he's the bee's knees because he has this job at the security firm and has a small army. It's funny in the movie because you think that the army that he's m- running around they really have no jurisdiction what they're doing. So they're just running after people. They're no, it doesn't seem like there's any coordination with the local law enforcement. So they're just opening fire and you know and like are running lights <laughs> and stuff like that. And you yeah. think they'd just be li- just as liable. Um, but in the in the movie, there's this also this. Well, we can get to to to, to some of the themes and stuff. But uh, well, he, it's weird they they play him. He has to be an asshole, you know, because if because you could get somebody else playing it more sympathetically. Like we have to take him down because Johnny Five could go out there. It could be a horror movie. He could be wreaking havoc and killing everybody. He could be running over things. He could be uh, shooting his lasers. I mean, in in the book, they give the stats of. Um, Johnny Five, and they say that um, Johnny Five is he is uh, he has sufficient inbuilt power to travel high speed for over a thousand miles. At the end of the journey, he could still muster enough destructive power to burn an entire city, neutralize fifty incoming nuclear warheads, destroy a battalion of tanks, and still have reserves uh, to go. So that's pretty badass. And you know he's almost like a Terminator, uh, and they describe it in the book that since there's five of them, each one is an improvement on the last. So that that's why five is so close where Crosby, Je- uh, Steve Gutenberg's character, thought he was almost there uh, creating AI. And he was, he's like, I don't, you know, he's like, I'm so close. And that's why he becomes this awkward hermit who him and the um, Fisher Stevens or th- th- it was supposed to be that they, they've they've been underground so much doing this that they when they come out the sunlight they're almost they don't know what to do that leads to the awkwardness of forgetting how to drive the social um, uh, awkwardness of everything because they're so uh, committed to their work and they've been trapped for so long you know building these things so yeah I, uh, <clears throat> I think yeah. you know I think everything you kind of just unpacked there I think there's all a lot of really interesting things that I think we need to kind of touch on a lot of that. Uh, some of the stuff yeah. that you're talking about, you know, when you <clears> talked <throat> about earlier that Austin Pendleton had done a uh, an interview and he talked about the casting and whatnot. I mean, he basically says in that interview that the script was really beautiful and the movie that came out of yeah. it is, he's, he doesn't pass judgment on the quality of the movie, but he says it's not that script. And part of that was the casting um, and you can see, I feel like you can see it. You, you, you talked about like we can get into some of the themes uh, later or whenever now. But um, you can see that there's like a really interesting, uh, thoughtful science fiction allegory in here somewhere. And yeah. maybe in its final uh, product for mass consumption and casting of... Steve Gutenberg, who is just a charming guy playing someone who on paper is a is not Steve Gutenberg, <laughs> you know so these kinds of changes in casting and then how the movie's done and going through the studio system and executives and whatnot unfortunately it it you can see how some of that stuff gets filtered out to be to make yeah. to make a product. That is for families, so that it can and the 
the speed of this coming out because evidently this went into production very quickly and was out within like a year of them selling it so yeah. it seems like a lot of this happened so quickly they're just going with it you know and they're going on set the writers and actually doing drafts on set or sitting down and figuring stuff out and you know uh, uh, you know nitpicking ideas there while in process which is I think unique and I, so it could go to your point of a lot of this stuff falling to the wayside just because of expedience yeah and I think also you know we said earlier you know robots were big in the 80s but they're, they're there is this there is this thing in the 80s and you can totally see how maybe a movie like this may not have gotten greenlit right away had it not been for something like the success of the terminator or it's also dealing with stuff that things like maybe daryl deals with or (laughs) a later uh true yeah yeah sure or later like uh uh small wonder it's a television show as like as a as a quirky sitcom there is like this fascination with technology uh, and science fiction. Obviously, um, I mean, for the most part, that's what science fiction is based on. They they say like Frankenstein when we did Kenneth Branagh's Mar- quote unquote Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We talked a lot about uh, how Mary Shelley is considered kind of like the mother of science fiction through that book, and so it raises questions of like what is life and. You know, this is certainly you can see influences from Terminator. You can see influences from Frankenstein. There's also Blade Runner with the replicants <clears throat> and them trying to figure out what a lie yeah, what is totally. alive. It's there, there's you know? something much deeper going on in Short Circuit that <laughs> it's it can be easily ignored on just a casual viewing. But there's also stuff that I think is really interesting that seemed to be uh, once television came you and then like 1970 you get the novel uh being there and then coming later we get the movie with peter sellers by hal ashby uh jersey kaczynski wrote the novel uh and then you get the hal ashby movie and this idea of like television being a source of in this movie input but information, how someone perceives the world. We see this uh, a year earlier from now in 1985 with Explorers by Joe Dante, the way the aliens come. In Flight of the Navigator as well, with the robot, you know, he gets in and that's, he start Paul Rubens as, um, you know, what's what's he say? I forget what that one thing he says. Uh, but remember, he's saying yeah. he's quoting everything, you know. Yeah, and explores yeah. the aliens are, you know, they came here because of their, their obsession with television, and that movie just gets like completely bizarre. Well, that was a that. big thing. It's like, yeah, that gets that takes a left turn in the last reel, but it's like that was a huge like one people got to understand. We keep hammering home. Robots were huge. One of my earliest memories of Mister Rogers was him going to like a. Because uh, robots were big, he went to this warehouse where they were building those little robots that like can come out and serve drinks, almost like Rocky Four, but they looked more like these robots look like barrels. Well, Rocky Four is a perfect example of what we're talking. About. <laughs> yeah, it's like they were everywhere, and then these little robots that you were able to trade their front, so you could put like uh, their, it was almost like a poster frame you could put on, so that you could put a little like tuxedo on it, and then suddenly it's like for an, a dinner party, and then it was like hello, Mister Rogers, and it was you know giving him a drink, and he's like that's wonderful, you know. So it's like 
robots were huge and people were obsessed with robots. They were being marketed to us with, with you can buy high-end ones or Nintendo, one of the first things they had was the robot that can move stuff or the outtake in this movie in the credits, you see that robot that was very famous in the 80s try to give him something to drink and it falls over. Uh, so robots on their own, they were huge. Yeah. But then as you're saying, that then you have the robot, the idea of what is alive and what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be artificially intelligent? Uh, what's the difference between humans and, and achieving the human intellect of reasoning or rationale or kind of critical thought? Uh, these are all questions that I guess people start well, I mean that, bringing up. In that's where, I mean, science fiction goes. I mean, you have like the, uh, like the Wells, H.G. Wells view of like the future and technology and how it's all war-based, you know, and how, yeah. <laughs> and how, you know, the yeah, future we're destroy ourselves it's all going to be about are come. you know war and destruction and and the warnings of that. Or you get like uh, who did uh, like uh, I Robot I, Isaac Eisenhoff with the ro- three robots of war. Well, Eisenhoff, of course, I Robot is a perfect example. But then you also get uh, like the guy who did like for, uh, Earth to the Moon or Trip to the Moon and. Around the world in eighty days. Oh, uh, uh, you talking? About, oh, Jules Verne. Yeah, Jules Verne, and those guys. You get a different view of of the world. Twenty thousand leagues of the sea. Yeah. Well, there, what Verne's was using it for technology based as helping. You know that you're saying that they're gonna, it's going to help us traverse. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. There's like diametrically rep- opposed. Whereas like Wells is looking at the future as like war machines. We're going to fucking destroy ourselves in the time machine or aliens. Vern is using it as like exploration. Well, you then, I mean, this is a weird sidebar to get into, but that was Vern's critique of Vern established himself as this huge sci fi guy. And then, you know, the young guy comes along Wells doing it all like, you know, kind of like Quentin Tarantino style. And then Vern's like, this is trash. You know, this is not, you know, this is almost a pulp of the genre, you know, because he's turning it into what the, the what it, it could do to humanity so you're right these these opposing views but this is where i'm going which is like we get terminator which is the warding of like sentient technology it will view itself as superior to man it will view man as uh, a, a danger and it will d- and it will destroy humans yeah oh, how from 2001 well, per- uh, you know perfect yeah, example absolutely you know, uh, and he's the only one in that movie that has feelings. You know, he's actually the one doing the right thing. That's such a sad, sad, you know, song that he's the only guy. Hey, man, I'm doing what I was told to do. And you're the you're the it's you're the part that's going to be the you know, that's messing it up. I got to eliminate you because that's what I was programmed yeah. to do. And then you get that in war games, you know, war games. Let's play a game. You know, these computers ending up taking things out of our control and, you know, <laughs> And turning them into these, you know, catastrophic situations. But then you get something like this, or and Terminator to a certain extent, where it's like it's moved beyond its programming. And here's like the lighter version of it's like the opposite of Terminator. You know, Terminator was like yeah. machinery that became uh, uh, artificial intelligence became sentient and that became destructive. Whereas Evijer, like <laughs> you know, also also Sid Mead, yeah, which is you know number five is a, a tool of destruction, 
a military robot used to we're going to drop them behind enemy lines and they're going to fuck shit up and we don't lose any people which is how what we see about like drone technology now and the way the military uses it but it becomes sentient and through becoming sentient becomes human yeah and whereas much like you know someone like myself has a very negative view of humanity (laughs) might not have made this movie but someone with an optimistic view of the way uh, he, uh, mankind is takes that and makes it like he becomes he gets it he 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 learns through his humanity like what's right and wrong you don't kill look you can't kill somebody uh and he becomes well he learns that very early on and that becomes this hiccup in the book of that he realizes right or wrong and then he becomes he cannot psychologically kill anybody so when those other numbers go after him he could easily take them out with his laser but he doesn't want to kill and then he realizes also that in a situation where he's either forced to kill or it's like the i I robot he'll rather get killed because he doesn't want to destroy life so it becomes this thing it, it we have these very weird perceived themes were like you said like the anti-war like that that was against the cold war in the 80s but then there's this other weird theme which kind of presents itself in the book of like pro-life almost an anti-abortion argument where every life is is there's there's a conversation when they're in the bar in the book and they start talking about she's trying to convince um crosby that the robot's alive and she's saying well if he's alive then you won't destroy him right isn't all life sacred And he's like absolutely so it's it becomes and it 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 builds on themes of her where she is a uh, humanitarian who only, all she wants to do Ali Sheedy's character is get enough money to from the pictures she first takes of Johnny Five when she thinks he's an alien uh, she wants to send him to like you know the the People Time Magazine she can get the royalties to build a sanctuary for wounded animals or she wants to build the greatest health food store that you can get food from so she's looking very optimistically so she's an embodiment of these themes of she's taking the wounded animals in you know the three-legged dog in the movie or she's got a skunk or all these beautiful animals everywhere and that she's like wrangling into her house and then she's the perfect person for for johnny five to find because in a second she believes him and you know and it becomes this thing where she's also trying to help johnny five because now he has to fight it to, to make people believe or understand that he's alive yeah which is another interesting um, uh theme there you know where he's got to convince these people even the guy gutenberg it's a big conflict in the book where gutenberg's like no you know they say it a couple times in the movie that it just runs programs this is not you know maybe he he's acting like he is but he's not alive yeah. he's just mimicking stuff you know, so he's got a giant, you know, he starts in the book. He refers to himself, I think, with I or they. And then he starts turning in, you know, the first person, yeah. you know, so he does that in the script. It's, uh, it's heavy. Uh, yeah. But I mean, that's kind of the beauty of the of this script and and the novelization and, and probably what uh, the Pendleton is talking about with the original, original script is like. If he through whatever some light you know electrical surge somehow very Frankenstein <laughs> yeah exactly right it brings, you know I mean it brings basically him to life which is like, you know totally yeah uh, like a divine kind of uh, you know that's how we're gonna get the MacGuffin we don't know how it happens but the lightning bolt will just explain it away and it's through you know, and, reasoning and he be- that he decides that killing is wrong 
Yeah. And through the influence of the Ali Sheedy character, who, like Dion said, is established instantly that she's she takes in animals and she's caring and life is precious and and all this stuff. And so it was like her influence on top of like his whatever this soul that he was given through this divided for this baby you know yeah he's learning because it could go very wrong like in a movie i didn't see recently you know that there's that chappy with hugh jackman the yeah i feel like that movie is another updated version of this uh and from what i haven't seen it but from what i saw in the trailers it seems like this that's the other way this could have went because if 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 johnny five ended up finding some gangbangers you know, and then they're immediately, you know, they, they beat the shit out of them or they set them on fire or they try to, like, you know, abuse them like people abuse animals. Johnny Five could very easily turn into something completely different. And then it turns into very, it's almost like um, you go right to the hardcore sci-fi 50s fiction with, uh, you know, um, The Day the Earth Stood Still sure. or uh, these movies where um, a lot of the Harryhausen movies were like the those aliens, you know, they open from the bottom of the earth and then. They're 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 growing. There's I forget which one that is, uh, and then he's in the barn, and the people scared. They come and try to kill him, and they throw a pitchfork at him and all that stuff, and he kills them all, and then immediately he hates humans. Yeah. And then as he's getting bigger, that becomes the reason why it's very Frankenstein. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where, you know, look, it's these. You know, it's like this because it's classic. I mean, and it works. I mean, and it's true. It's, it that, could work. It could really happen. Well, I mean, you take a you know we talk. You mean we last year for our anniversary we did. Superman two was that was that for our anniversary that we did Superman two? It might, rather. and uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I think you're right, but just imagine it had like some other couple found young. Oh yeah, uh, sure, Kal-El. <laughs> you know, like yeah, <laughs> like super, how that could have Superman could have yeah. easily been a super villain had. Not yeah. been brought up by the, by the by the Kents, and so you know obviously, but what what I find is kind of uh, interest uh, well done in this script in this movie is that it's not even so much that she teaches him that killing is wrong, it's that it, she explains to him what death is in the way you would explain to a child or someone who didn't understand it. And then, so he doesn't learn that it's wrong from her, but he reasons that it's wrong, which is a big difference. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a big distinction. And, and it says something very different uh, in terms of the storytelling and what we learn about number five. And uh, so I mean, it, look. Like my point is only, and I've kind of said this a couple of times, is that there there is something really, there is something very beautiful, like interwoven into this story. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I'm not going to pass dispersions as to whether it's the movie's uh, the way it handles it is good or not, because I think there's there's downsides and benefits to both ways. However, you go with it, and sure. this movie is certainly. Uh, probably would not have been like the nostalgic gem for our generation had it been a more serious view of this kind of thing. But the fact that it... Yeah, darker kind of turn. Yeah, but but because it's... Disney should have took it. If Disney did it, it would have been freaking (laughs) alt. Terribly dark. It would have been Flight of the Navigator. You know, remember, that thing gets scared. Compliance, that's what it says. But there's enough... Compliance. But there's enough... uh, 
there's enough of it still left within the movie that I, it makes it an interesting watch, I think. And I, I enjoyed well, watching it. There, there's a, there's an, the part in the book with the boyfriend, when the boyfriend comes back, she, in the book, Pendleton's character, uh, who runs the facility, is a little more of a, a cutthroat um, uh, executive kind of thing. So he immediately jumps on the bandwagon of... Um, uh, Stonewall, who is basically the sh- the Scroto Scroder character, uh, who we said before, and they put out that she is a fugitive from justice and that she's wanted. She's armed and dangerous. She stole technology, and there's a like a ten or fifteen thousand dollar reward for her. So she's like, shit. What am I gonna do? So she quietly is able to get back to her house, and that's the 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 part where she she's by herself. She gets back. She's by herself, and she's taking the bath. The boyfriend comes back only to get her to turn her in because the boyfriend wants the money to, to, to the the money to turn her in because she's a wanted fugitive. But then the boyfriend tries to like he's like I'm gonna have one more romp with you before you go away. So he starts dragging her to the bushes, which is implied he's gonna accost her or rape her. And then Johnny Five comes to his her aid, and that's the scene we beget where Johnny Five then you know same thing takes his car Trans Am apart, you know laser shoots all this kind of stuff with him and sends him off. So there are some like still evil dirty elements here where it's immediately established the boyfriend's a freaking douchebag where in the movie and in the book he's trying to take that dog away to get money he's taking it to a lab that they're going to potentially test it you know and um and who knows what's going to happen just so because he can have money for whatever the hell he needs so there's a lot of heels that are established early on in this movie um and it's her character is very forward thinking because I mean it's never implied that she's vegan or she has any kind of thing like that, but I would assume so. And she's very much like uh, where this is. This was shot in uh, um, Astoria, uh, Oregon, which is uh, also where they shot Goonies and Kindergarten Cop. So when they established the house, I was like, oh, this looks like it's on almost the same street as the Goonies. Like the Goonies house is going to be a couple streets over. Yeah, you know. So, but it's very much there. You know, she. You know, you, you you find a lot of people with her mindset where it's very clean living, very nice. So she's and she's got this big house in the book. It's explained that it was her parents' house, and you know th- that's the reason why she has it. And she's able. And her dream is to get, a, like I said, a sanctuary to take care of all these animals she's found in the neighborhood. It's funny in the movie because you see all these cute animals and a lot of people. She has a skunk there and a lot of people don't know like skunks could be really nice and domesticated if you're able to get past them you know blowing if they don't get scared and blow their their thing at you um but when johnny five's doing all that stuff like i would be worried that johnny five would run a cat over yeah. a kitten you know because it's just <laughs> dancing and going crazy you know, like, like tweaking out there's so many animals everywhere that it could just like oh johnny five set reassemble reassemble you know it becomes like of of, uh, of mice and men kind of a story <laughs> yeah uh but she, you know she's very much the the personality there where she she even herself needs he teaches her about how important everything is, and and she's the be- she's the best advocate he could she could have, and um, it's really good that she f- that they, they get together, and it's hilarious because also like we said, a theme of the '80s was going to space and aliens, and we had movies like ET, we had movies like Close Encounters, so. That scene where at the beginning when you have her first encounter him and it's all glowing in the truck, that's very reminiscent for audiences of our age of E.T., of Close Encounters, of uh, Cocoon, you know, the brightness when they show that out of their eye. So she immediately, so that's a a line she improv 
or that's not in the book that's in the scriptures. Like, I knew they would find me first or make contact with me, uh, which is so convincing because we had shows like In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy and all these, you know, so the truth is out there kind of a thing. So uh, it's very funny when she first thinks it's a robot. Yeah. I mean, sorry, it's an alien. But also plays it's into, down and, uh, you know, it's a little, there's a little reminiscence of uh, like Back to the Future where he goes to talk to George the McFly in the in the outfit, he, you know, and he's like he pretends he's an extraterrestrial because he sees he knows Darth Vader. Yeah, um, there's something else too. I, there's another movie I I'm thinking of that I just, I can't place it that has like a similar thing. But also by that point we had um, Starman, which is oh sure, um, you know, in a different way is dealing with a lot of the same themes in terms of. Uh, the military and how they approach stuff, but also even Flight of the Navigator was dealing with with that of how the government's going to handle. <laughs> that was uh, the, yeah, take them NASA in their uniforms running at the, the end of ET. Well, you know, ET, it's like yeah, they're going to come like, take over. There is, you like, know. it's very interesting to th- that. Um, you know, during the eighties, which w- was like under a, a, a Republican president, there was all this fear of establishment um in terms of that stuff of like the cold military and and like a more interesting take of this would have been what you were kind of hinting at earlier which would have been like that more serious slightly more adult version of this movie which is like to play more into the fact that the the in this movie the scroder character he is just doing a job That's and like thing, you yeah. said like it could like things could go drastically wrong what they're doing is believable and for the common good, which is like they're afraid that this, like you said, this could, they're afraid that this thing's going to go and just like start killing people. And so, as it easily could <laughs> and realistically would. <laughs> yeah. I, and uh, to play more on that in juxtaposition to this would have been that more serious look. Well, it's closer to like a war games scenario there with the robot yeah. being innocent, but more of a how this is what I'm programmed to do. And you're right. I mean, the, the Cold War was really amped up in the 80s when we got out of the 70s and Reagan got in and Carter was out. Uh, you know, I think Reagan's big push was to uh, reinforce we have a Cold War because they were against the communism and they wanted to abolish the USSR. Yeah because that was our adversary. So that was front and center, you know, uh, tear, you know, tear down that wall, that opposition. So the military mindset of the 80s and everything going on, you know, and then either there's very staunch views of people loved Reagan, people hated Reagan. So, of course, you're going to get stuff like um, they live or, or ant- you know, counterculture answers yeah. to people not liking objects of Reagan or the other side of it where people were liking. They were pro uh, movies of, of what was going on. So this kind of straddles the line because it does seem like a lot of the, 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 the mindset of the era was, you know, knocking it. But then you do have a very pro-life, all-life is sacred position here. And I find Ali Sheedy's character being very uh, archetype in, you know, it's almost like in the human humanization of animals in a way because I feel like in the past 10 or 15 years is when I've really gotten in touch with my sensitive side when it comes to animals and stuff and like understanding that you know in the old days uh, maybe it's just being young as well you know you'd step on an ant you'd like ah, who cares you know what the hell but you know or you know kids would go out and shoot bb guns which i never did and you know we shoot birds or squirrels where now it's like you realize the more we learn 
each animal has a personality. I mean, now we're waxing into like, you know, esoteric shit, but it's like, it, I think goes to more, you probably, if, if we researched it, you could track movies like Bear. Remember that movie that was huge, my dad loved? You know, or these other movies where there's canine, where you, you Turner and Hooch, where you, you know, you humanize these, you know, and then it becomes a story where it's like, don't take them away, you know, um, you know, the, the animal or whatever, or, you know, and, and, and to realize that their life is important too, not just to go trophy hunting or something crazy or, or outrageous. You know, so that's a very big thing that you could see the the the, the trajectory of where we are nowadays, sure. where there's very staunch positions against environment and everything like that, which, um, you know, uh, I'm all for, which is great. So it's hard because then it becomes Johnny Five's if affliction or predicament is trying to convince people that he is uh, uh, self-aware, yeah. which is hard. You know, it's like that's, you know, that's like an animal trying to show you like you're trying to have a, an animal in a in a cage or in a lab trying to show you the conditioning. Oh, he does have feelings or yeah. he does not like, you know, and that's all Johnny five is trying to t prove to people is that he's alive by it. Or how, you know, he's reading book smart and all that stuff, but it doesn't matter. And it's, it's the abstract thought, you know, and he's trying to figure that out and being alive for five days. But very quickly, he makes the decision that since life is so precious that he won't take life himself. And it uh, again, goes, I think to the laws of a robot with I, Isaac Asimov and all that kind of, that um, hole, the wormhole of, you know, he, he'd rather sacrifice himself than kill as opposed to a very different story that we've been saying. You can have this thing like that, which could be that. I think that might be, have you seen Chappie? I haven't seen it now. Yeah. So I think that's what that is. You know, yeah. I, I, we could be wrong, but I think there are a couple movies after that where the, the robot is beat up and, you know, tortured. And then it turns into this big villain. You know, yeah. I don't. So, I don't uh, have a feeling again, that like that's where that movie goes. <laughs> uh, no, but I feel like he's abused, and then he takes up a side, and he's he becomes. I think he, he from the way. trailers, we it haven't like he's seen fighting it, so a good war. Really no, one, mere speculation. One thing I would say, uh, as part of like the earlier part of what you were saying, is the other thing to take into account, which I think is where War Games kind of comes out of, which is like this idea of like Reagan also trying to push forward this like star wars uh system of like anti-missile <laughs> uh so that like yeah. this addition of technology uh being militarized for our protection i think is where a lot, a lot of this science fiction of like yeah that's great but what happens if that doesn't work if that if that's if yes. what's what's the flip what's what's the what's the danger of that kind of thing and i think that's also where some of this military technology uh, sentiment on some of these movies is also coming out of. Yeah, in the in in the Star Wars was huge in the in, you know of course, but then the the movie and that name was adapted for people who don't know. In the eighties, there was going to be this fledging technology with the hope since we we both both powers had the intercontinental ballistic missiles that we were trying to put into place uh, kind of like, well, I guess, what the Space Force is now. Because what you hear what's going on with China, China has these satellites that'll just go up in the air, take an arm out, grab another satellite, and just take it, and then that's it. And they're like, what the hell happened to our satellite? It's China taking stuff. So back then, it was the idea was that if a missile was launched from Russia, it would pass sensors, and we'd have this, what they called Star Wars technology in the air that would be able to shoot this, these rockets down before they landed. And we needed, and that technology never got anywhere, or we don't know about it. You know, yeah. for all we know, we do have that up there. They just don't tell us. But since that was all public knowledge, you're right, then the fiction, the science fiction fiction kind of went that way yeah. about these 
um, deter. I mean, that goes to Doctor Strangelove. All these deterrents, but then and at the end of the day, what happens? It's the human error that causes the or. 2001 it's even the human error that causes everything so this is another example you're right of of, the, of what happens if this technology is supposed to help us uh goes a, a, fr- a, a fray yeah and uh we have to go in this case stop it before and you're right in this case it's 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 great <laughs> you know we get yeah, we, <laughs> we get a, we get a lovable <laughs> robot out of it but yeah uh, he, he didn't blow up the whole world <laughs> You know, which you know, he could have been like assimilation, compute, error. You know, could have been, he could have turned into Ed Two Hundred Nine. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> which would have been quite a different movie. Uh, so they shoot all this in in Astoria, but the, in the book it's called Masonville, and uh, you know we've established stuff about. Uh, what's his face is uh, Crosby the, the the computer guy and his his character in the book he lives in a very small apartment and the point is that he he has the money to, to to get a bigger place but he is hardly ever there it's this little shitty apartment by a railroad station and uh, he spends so much time at work that you know he doesn't think about that and that's when you're first getting the idea of well, I'm going to move to Montana when this is all over with and he's so anti-government he's very left-leaning thinking but at the same time it's kind of like I guess you pick your you pick your poison he has to work with this company because this is the company that gives him the technology the money to be able to play at that level which is how they justify that uh and he's able to make these beings and um uh what else let's see here um so, you know, when Johnny Five gets out, you know, the the whole thing is that he's, like, it's funny, in the book, he's kind of trying to communicate with everything. So the first time when he's in, on the truck, it kind of looks like Bob Vila is driving that truck out of there that he gets away in. Uh, he's trying to talk to the engine because he hears the engine. So he's, he's imitating the engine. Then when he falls out, he's in the forest in the book. He's trying to talk to the, he sees the squirrels or the birds. It becomes one of those moments where everything's landing on him, like almost like Snow White. And he's trying to talk to, he's trying to, it, and, you know, he's trying to figure out, have a meaningful conversation or he gets to the gas station or he's seeing advertisements, you know. And it's almost, again, like a comment that becomes a joke in a lot of these movies. You have, um, even Transformers you have with the Eric Idle character. Remember when they're on that junk planet and all he says are those, you know, dead to be stupid, that weird Al Yankovic yeah. song. And that you have a, the, that robot only says like slogans, you know, off on now, standing by. It's, uh, you get a lot of that in the 80s, Max Hedrum, where you have, um, there's such a push of, of branding, logo, marketing that you have the backlash that, you know, since we're sending out these signals. I remember there's some Disney. I might have talked about this before, but there was some Sunday night Disney movie where they were in space, and it was kind of like they're on, a, you know, they're in space doing stuff. And I remember at some point, I don't remember what the show was about, but they, he, she's like, Captain, we've run into Earth signals, and they they found they're passing like the wave of radio transmissions from like the '60s. So all of a sudden, some like '60s song comes on, and they're dancing to it with the idea that these are still just going out there, and that's the idea going back to also. Um, uh, contact uh, what's his face's book uh, where uh, you know the, the the Nazi broadcast Hitler's the first thing that went out and who knows what's gonna uh, s- you know grab that and hear that so uh, it's funny that Johnny Five all he's seeing is this branding he watches the TV and then he's copying Scarface you see the George Raft yeah. and then when he's flipping the coin and that was big because the remake of Scarface had just come out or he's talking like John Wayne or he's talking like um, f- even Paul uh, uh, Phil Rizzuto 
Remember, he used to do those money store commercials, but he was like, you know, that's a holy cow. It's a hit from the meat, the meatball. Well, not meatball. Meat, meatloaf song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, well, that's uh, what I was, light, that's Phil Rizzuto. That's <clears> what I was kind of getting at earlier, which is, you know, I mean, I, maybe there are, are early exam, earlier examples of it than, than being there. But this idea of how television has changed uh, the way we get information and how it quickly becomes a sales tool to sell us on things and entertainment. And so that becomes like... This goes to our our Sesame Street story. You know, remember that conversation yeah. about Muppet Movie where they were, that's why they were realizing maybe we can use this to learn because this is getting in that infancy. They realize how glued and attached kids are to TV and susceptible people are to this. Yeah. So I, I was just pointing out earlier that like... You know, things like Explorers and like Dion said, uh, Flight of the Navigator. Like this also becomes like a recurring theme uh, starting in the 70s and then really like pushed into the 80s. Um, so, I mean, I just think it's interesting to see all these, you know, as we, as we look back on these movies now as adults, but also in the context of this show and in the context of like examining them to a certain extent it's interesting to start to see how certain themes were, uh, you know, were playing into, playing into like multiple things from when we were little and seeing them all kind of come together and then seeing that the, the way technology and this like, you know, 80, like Dion saying, like in the eighties, like marketing became like amped up, like on steroids, you get, you know, then you get the branding of like, where's the beef? <laughs> Yeah, you know, like we're just getting. We all know those those slogans. We still remember party, pizza party. <laughs> we we can sing jingles. There's, I think, there's college courses on that. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like how it, susceptible. It's interesting to see like how in 1986 it's being recognized, and you know now I'm sure there's there's fiction on that too. I'm sure that there's, uh, if I remember correctly, there's a Columbo episode, but I, I don't know if that was a, I think it was a real thing. Remember the subliminal messages? Oh, sure. Yeah. They got mad because people were using subliminal messages in, in advertising. And there was, I think kind of like hearings about that and they had to knock that out. But I feel like there's a couple horror movies that are doing that. Yeah. Like, you know, like there, is that what, um, what's the, what the, the Cronenberg movie where the heads are blowing up from the TV? Oh, video drone. Is that, um, yeah, is that is there any of that kind of playing into that where the TV sending you waves, isn't that? Yeah, there's a lot. You know, or, <laughs> yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, it's like so. Takes, I mean, this is another example of that. Yeah, I mean, it takes it to a holy, you know, a very Cronenbergian extent of uh, of what what that's doing. But uh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's just and they live right, they obey, eat, you know, all oh, that kind of shit. Right out of 1984, yes, that one's staring us right you in know? the face. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and a lot of out of, of what's his face, uh, uh, Orwell. You know what I mean? Oh, you know, yeah. uh, Big Brother's watching you. All that, all that, all those fears in the eighties because the technology was suddenly becoming. You know, we run away with the robots. Remember the Tom Selleck, Christie oh, Alley, of course, Christie Alley. I mean, what you know? I mean, of course. What you as know. the listener, you're you know, like Deanna and I don't really talk about the movie too much before we start talking before we hit record. So like. Some of this gets, you know, we get off on weird tangents and it becomes like this weird mishmash of, but it's because both of these things are occurring to us in time. You're listening to it live, basically, yeah. of the way like these, these thoughts are being, you know, are coming to fruition in, in my head and in Dion's head. So uh, sorry if it's a little jumbled, but, uh, you know, just appreciating the, mo the moment and the movie in real time here.
talking about this though. Yeah, it's all it's all very fluid. Um, and and yeah, Johnny Five he, he's part of the Saint program, and the Saint means strategic artificially intelligence nuclear transport. And he's meant to replace the foot soldier, as Blake said. You know, he was supposed to he's supposed to be able to go in. It's like the bat, yeah. the battle android trooper from Cobra. You know, they're supposed to go into the situation, like you're saying, like Robocop or Ed 29 is supposed to be, and handle a situation to, like they we're doing now with drones and drone strikes and stuff. Take the, the, uh, the human getting hurt element out of it. Um, and, yeah, luckily he... he he when he gets hit by light and he becomes self-aware it becomes this journey of him getting a soul and then being able to 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 understand the beauty of the world and uh again i feel like there's another elephant in the room that i'm not that i'm forgetting that it's like oh it's just like this freaking movie oh, sure, here yeah. you know but it's like that's you know frankenstein with the, with the girl and doesn't realize throwing a little d- girl into the water and drowning her it's like the innocence of you know or lenny killing isn't it? It's Lenny from *Of Mice and Men* killing the the, the rabbits yeah, and the puppies, and then the girl because the, it's the awkwardness and then the brute strength, you know. Well, yeah, um, I mean that's kind so of just been my point the whole time, which is just like, it's this movie is pulling from so many other sources, the way a lot of movies and fiction do, you know, and then and it's just yeah. uh, like there, yeah, there's probably another hundred movies or or stories or books short stories whatever that we could look at and say oh like i can see that influence even if it's not direct and all that stuff but it's interesting when you get into things like science fiction because it does provide uh a view of uh the world and the possibilities and commenting on the kinds of things that we've been talking about in terms of uh the way things are presented, whether it's the, through the media or the perception of uh, military and the hierarchy of establishment and all this stuff, but it's like it's it's this movie is like an odd thing because it's it is playing with all these various themes, but through like the lens of this very uh, accessible family movie for all ages. <laughs> with a comedic tone and with uh, recognizable, charming people, actors that we've seen in other movies like Steve Gutenberg and Ali Sheedy and like a lovable robot with a, with a, with a, uh, a crazy voice. And um, it's just, it's a very, it's very, very friendly friend. <laughs> it's very family friendly. Yeah, totally. You know, at the time. And it's just, it's, it's a very strange, uh, culmination of all these things occurring in in one movie and then packaged in a way that can be sold to the masses <laughs> in the cinema. Yeah. That was the reason why I think uh, my suggestion to do it was because, you know, it's like this movie that I have this fond memory to that I had seen so much as a kid. And it's funny because I haven't seen the movie probably since 1990, but I remember it so well, the jokes. You know, hey, laser lips, your mother was a snowblower, all this and that, and these things happening. But it's just funny now because, you know, Again, this is one of these movies that the plot happens so quick, and I wonder, I always, I've been saying, like, this this existential problem I'm starting to have, where it's like, these movies I watch, like, I think there's more to them, but there's not. So, my question starts to be to myself, is it, 
that I'm remembering more than there was because you know that's how I you know like these I'm I'm reading more into it than there was actually there and I have this cloudy fondness for the movie or as I'm getting older it's because time my perception of time is changing and as a kid viewing these movies there's so much more there but as an adult and I know the beat structure I know this or that and I know what these you know this is for this element or device so uh, you wonder if that's what what the problem is and I'm starting to realize that these these simple scripts are just my perception of time is changing because I'm getting older and stuff's just flying by. You know, I think it's probably uh, a little it's, bit it's of both, actually. You know, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think. You know, I've said it. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. I know I've said it in other guest appearances on podcasts or in discussions with people <clears throat> that. Uh, the way I like movies is different now in terms of like most movies are just okay to me now. Like I like them just fine. Whereas in my teens, you know, there was definitely more of like, I love movies or I, and I hate movies and there's less of like this. Eh, that's okay. But now because of so many stories, so many movies that I've seen throughout my life, like just your perception and the way you experience them is different. And so now I'm like, eh, you know, that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever watch that again, but it was yeah, good. It is what it is, and I think so. Yeah, so I think like that is part of what you're saying, which is you know just perceive it differently. So it's like the things the, the way the story unfolds and narrative structure and all those things seem almost uh, simple now, but it's because you've seen so many more stories now. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you've seen so many more, so there's a million other things to compare it to. Well, that's the problem is as you get older, you kind of get, it gets ruined for you because since you're so, um, uh, uh, just green to it all, you don't see things coming. So you don't see plot twists. You don't see. So at the beginning of this movie, he gets electrocuted like two minutes in, you know, after the first explosion sequence of his, his, um, debut. And it's like, for me, I was like, oh, wow, this is really getting going. But as a kid, you're not you're like, oh, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're eating your popcorn and you're along for the ride, yeah. you know? And it's, that might be another element that, you know people wax upon and, and have long debated uh, philosophical conversations about the innocence of a child because now we look at everything as such a jaded perspective. You know, we watch a show and we're looking, oh, you know, why is this person in the movie? Oh, he's got to be here because he's the killer. Or why is, you know, why is he talking to this person? That's going to play later. It's going to come back. There's no reason this shouldn't be. You know, you don't have that that uh, fat anymore where you can just put things in that aren't going to come back because people need, everything has to be so tight that the, you know, if you talk to the doorman at the beginning of the movie, he's got to be the killer at the end because why would you have, you know? Yeah. So, uh, we're so almost, uh, uh, used to this that we don't have the, it'd be, it'd be great to be able to just revolutionize since we've been relatively for a, over a hundred years telling the same kind of stories. It'd be great if someone can revolutionize another way of presenting stories with baggage and, and context or, or exposition so that it's new to us. So it's a, it's a new ride, you know, and that I think might be the next step in the evolution of cinema aside from the presentation of, of us digesting it. Um, because this is just, you know, it, it, it's, it's such a fun tentpole movie of the era, but uh, you know, the second one came out and then they had plans to do a third one, but there wasn't much talk. So they didn't, ended up scrapping the, the, the third one. And, uh, you know, that was all we ever heard of it. 
you go years later to, to 2007 or 8, um, you do get Wally that comes out, the Disney movie, and I think Wally has a lot of influence from this movie because Wally looks a lot like uh, our Johnny Five in this movie. So I think there's elements in our in our subtext or our, our you know, it's become the Americana, but uh, it's 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 almost like it's a forgotten about movie, you know, for us not, but I don't know, yeah. you know, to me, I'm so, I'm, I'm becoming so divorced sadly from uh pop culture and what's going on now that i don't i can't i don't have a barometer anymore of what people know or don't know and i feel like i'm taking the cautionary judgment of i think people are are so consumed with everything else that i don't see that they're not even being you know exposed to this kind of thing anymore so uh it's interesting (laughs) now the other thing in this movie was the who's johnny song by debarge and that was huge when we were little and I had not thought about that song until it was playing in the in the in the movie. Uh, there was a music video for it. Who is Johnny? And the, the music video was very popular. The song was very popular. Uh, I during the filming they were going to use Dire Straits's um, uh, what's that song? Uh, I want my MTV. Money for nothing. Money for nothing. But then I guess there was talk that it was played out and it was also being almost made fun of as a cliche at the time. So they got this song to go in and this and this plays a couple times the ending of the movie which is funny when they drive off into the sunset that song that comes on it's a boy and a girl singing as a child i always thought that was the two of them for some reason i thought ali sheedy and gutenberg sang that song of love <laughs> you know like that was like part of the culmination of them coming together yeah. um you know we haven't really talked a lot about the plot points in the movie but as we're going you know it's just funny Gutenberg's character doesn't really give a shit about what's going on. He's probably like, oh, you know, I'm Steve Gutenberg. Don't worry about it. Where everyone's like, this, this thing could kill everybody. He's like, oh, you're the stupid one. Like, he's doing very Gutenbergian kind of yeah. things. So, uh, when you get to the end, uh, as a kid, that was always such a heart-wrencher. When, when they corner, corner the uh, Johnny Five, and then you, spoiler alert, you think he gets destroyed. Like, it's like, I got teared up watching it again, you know, because, you know, you know the twist now, but the first time, you know, I didn't see that coming. And I think um, do you or did you remember enough about that ending to to, to any of that? Or yeah, I remember I remembered that from when I was a kid for sure. But it's still effective for sure. Yeah, that's why. That's why I think it was so effective. That's why we remember it because you know you think that he's dead in the book. Um, he gets fired by Gutenberg's character gets fired by Pendleton, and he he as soon as they destroy Johnny Five, he runs up to Pendleton and Pendleton's like, you're fired. He's like, no, no, no. He w- we were hostages. I had to say that. And Pendleton's like, really? And Ali Sheedy's like, what the hell? What are you saying? He's like, I had to say it because, um, you know, he would have killed us. So we were hostages and we had to just say that to you not to kill it. But now that it's dead, we're so glad. We need our jobs back because we need to study this. So he convinces uh, Pendleton on the spot to give him his job back. And uh, Pendleton goes off with the other guy, Stonewall uh, Bailey, to go take pick everything up. And like I said, he's not fired. And then they he grabs Ali Sheedy, Gutenberg's character, and drags her onto one of the vans and leaves. And Ali Sheedy's like, you're such an asshole. All that, again, it's like the third time this has happened with her. She's <laughs> like, you told me all this shit. You slept with me. You said you'd love me. Yeah. That's just pillow talk, baby. I'm, I'm, I'm not making, he didn't say that. But she's like, you know, what the fuck? You know, you, you said that you, you, you believe me and now you don't. And then when they get into the van, they leave. He's like, shut up. He's like, listen, listen, bitch. He's like, I, I just told him that to get us out of there because one, I need, we need the money because um, I need the job because we need the money because two, I'm going to rebuild Johnny Five. And his whole point is I'm going to rebuild him and rebuild him again because the night when they talk 
in the desert, he went over everything with Johnny Five because they had the blueprint. So Johnny Five showed him everything he did. So he's confident that he can rebuild Johnny Five exactly how he was. And Alex Shetty's like, no, he was alive. So even if you build him circuit for circuit, it's not. It's almost like the idea of cloning. Yeah. It's not going to be the same Johnny Five. And then that's when Johnny Five makes the appearance out of, you know, he opens the, 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 the thing and he comes up. He's like, I'm not dead. You know, I'm alive. So it's just funny how that's played a little differently because in the movie, it's very sad. Yeah. You know, they're like, what are we going to do now? And he's like, you know, uh, I'm leaving the company. I'm going to move to Montana. Do you want to come? And then Johnny Five comes back, you know, so it's almost like this great happy ending, you know, and the running gag of him throwing the chair out, you know, because he can't drive with the chair and the truck. Yeah. So. Um, it's very heartwarming. They're going to move to Montana. They're going to make this animal sanctuary. Uh, we didn't. She didn't really care that she was gone from those animals. So I hope they're being fed by the next door neighbor. You know, because they're just running amok in the house. You know, um, so it's just funny. You know, there's other subtle differences in the book like you know Johnny Five when he comes back that night when he finds her he escapes them he comes back to the house when she's taking a bath he fixes everything in the house for her so you know there's not that mess all the stuff he destroyed so there's just little stuff uh, here and there as we start to wind down that we can um, talk about and uh, uh, I think another thing I guess we should talk about uh, this is all the the practical t- effects in this movie. This was another example of they were saying they thought this was the most technical, techno- technolo- technologically advanced robot for a movie at the time because they were they were having it in one of those suits and they call it uh, a telemetry suit where you could put it on and that's basically the name for those suits that mimic yeah. whatever you do. The thing it's basically the FX two technology, you know. So <laughs> yeah. that's how in some of the shots, you know, they they put this suit on, and then then um, Johnny Five would repeat the robot everything he they did, or they would have long shots. They'd have a, a a huge practically built thing, and they'd be able to remote control it with dances. So the uh, inception of this script was that the two screenwriters wrote it as a spec script because they were in doing a lot of short films, and they had done a short film that got a lot of awards where they used the stop-motion technology as a robot. And since that got a lot of accolades, they said, well, why don't we write a feature length? And then that's what the idea was. Why don't we come up with an idea of what we know people love robots because of Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica. Why don't we make a robot, like we said, that's alive? How would people deal with that? But their original idea was they were going to stop-motion the whole darn thing until they got on set and they, you know, with the concepts, they had Sid Mead do a bunch of... um, concept work and he straight away and then they had to come back because they were like this thing needs eyes we need to have empathy we need to be able to convey emotions and all that so when Sid Mead's final design comes back to kind of like what their sketches were the writers on the original spec script on the front page they had a couple sketches of what they look thought the robot would look like so this thing ends up becoming practically with Eric uh, Allard doing it uh, it's a mixture of puppeteer work where there's, there's you know, like it's almost like the T1, a T-800 endoskeletons where it's a marionette from the bottom up where they're doing stuff or the top. It's, you know, it's just an arm or, or, or it's the whole body. And I think it's kind of ingenious. The idea, which I think was one of the producers on the film said, why don't, why don't we put on those visors? They, they functionally, which turned to be his eyebrows. Because they say functionally, since those are supposed to be telephotic lenses, his eyes, you know, he's going to need to have kind of visors to like, you know, when they're looking up at the sun and all that kind of a thing. So then we can use them to be also um, to convey feelings and emotions, kind of like what you get in like a Chuck Jones kind of, uh, you know, an animation. So I think those end up really helping really well, you know, those to, to, to convey. Yeah. So it's ingenious. All this stuff like how 
amazing. This would half of this stuff wouldn't you know I don't know they probably CGI half of this now or maybe the whole thing would be CGI. You know, I mean it goes into what we talk about and also so many of these effects driven uh, movies that we cover, like the beautiful movie magic of, of of it all. You know, it is it's something that you know it's it's all sleight of hand. You know, it's presenting a character, but we don't, as a viewer, we don't know that they had to make like X amount of Johnny Fives and each one does something very specific. It's like when they make a movie with like a dog and it's like, or a horse. It's like, well, we have one horse that does this, that knows this trick. Yeah. And we have to use a different horse that you can ride. <laughs> you know, they can't train like one animal to do every trick, but they can train like each animal to do one of the tricks. And then they just use, they just plant them in there. And that's what they have to do. I mean, that's a lot of uh, puppetry and, and that kind of thing. Like there's like certain things with like, with puppetry, like you can make, uh, you can make like a puppet head that, that's eyes blink, but you can't make one whose eyes blink and eyes move. So like, those are like, have to be two different shots or stuff like that. Yeah. And it's just, it's all the, you know, you have to sit there with the script and figure out what you want to convey in each thing. And then, and it's a, it's a, it's an amazing, uh, mastery of, of these people in organization, but then also of like ingenuity, ingenuity and, uh, engineering to be like, okay, well like here, you're like, we can't get the robot to do this with its arms, but we can get an arm that does that, and we can get just control that arm, so then you get all these close-ups of just the arms. I mean, it's the beauty of, of cinematic storytelling. And uh, and they're doing it all in real time, practically. Like, that's the, the trick, is that they said, like, you know, when you had Johnny Five, all five of them together, we had to build all five robots. Yeah. You know, and like Blake's saying, one robot does different things. You know, we have the big robot that dances, then we have close-ups, we have just, there's two different sets of heads that do different things, and then there's wide shots, and it was doing, it was really picking stuff up. It was really, you know, that all that's real. And, uh, you know, sometimes you might be able to see a wire or two, they were saying, that they're a little embarrassed about, like when the things are jumping in the air and stuff. But for the most part, it's just like they said, like it's like going to a Gallagher show where they'd have to get, like, trash bags and hide <laughs> underneath when he's yeah. doing all this crazy shit with the, you know, with the pancake batter and all that stuff. But it's just such beautiful movie magic. And a lot of the budget, I think the budget was nine million like two million was just sunk into the puppetry the 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 technology for these puppets to be doing this stuff um as it was going uh, in real time on set practically which is something you never see anymore today and another thing which i liked was the um the guy who was he initially was the one of the puppeteers tim uh blainley he was giving his his uh, initial idea was that he was going to be a placeholder much like when we did Emmett Otter's Christmas we had Frank Oz voicing the grandmother or the mother and then she, he's replaced they had him on set doing the voice Tim Blainley as Johnny Five but they got so accustomed to it they said no he's got to stay and do the voice so either later they, they dubbed it over but for the most part it's like uh, what they did on Who Framed Roger Rabbit which is they had the person on set there to deliver the lines in real time in ad lib so they're not just playing the track, which have been a lot harder for the actors, I think. Yeah. You know, but here you're able to have the guy actually talk back, interact, and almost becomes like a, a Jim Henson performance. There's the DVD this came out on. There's a bunch of production uh, notes and pictures and stills and different versions. You see a lot of the, the uh, Sid Mead concept artwork and all this stuff. And then there's small featurettes of Batum going to the, to the, uh, 
to the studio where they were making all this stuff back. I mean, it's just so... None of that is around anymore, that movie Magic. He's walking in, and it's a whole you know warehouse of them like you know building parts because they had to find practical parts off the regular commercial market to make this stuff. So it's like all this stuff is just gone now, like all this work of them building a hand and all this stuff. So anyway, getting back on task, it's like they were showing different pictures and you see like a day Jim Henson showed up and Jim Henson's there, you know, because I'm sure, uh, you know, if we went into the credits, I'm sure there's a lot of people. This is Labyrinth, which is around this time too. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that were doing Henson related the puppeteers sure. stuff as well, you know, and and we like we said we had Disney on board from not Flight of the Navigator, so a lot of like Tim Blainley, a lot of the people were doing that stuff. So, um, you know, it was all like a group, like a troop of people going around from movie to movie. So, uh, it is very Jim Hensony how they do the performances in real time with puppets and stuff, which I love. That you'll never, yeah, I mean, you could fight for it nowadays to have a practical robot, but. When we watch, say, the reboot of uh, Lost in Space, I'm sure, uh, what's his name? I, Johnny is not real for the most part. You know, I mean, I'm sure parts there's a guy in a suit, but for the most, you know, it's yeah. like, it's all different now, you know? So it, it's it's certainly like a forgotten uh, tech, you know? So it, it does go to your point of, of us seeing these movies that are prime examples of the best Hollywood had to offer at the time were being served up in these movies, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, you see uh, him working on a on a twenty uh, uh, a twenty. What is it? He's on one of the Macs, and it's like a fake color screen. They didn't have color screens at the time, uh, and you know it, that was the joke that that they wanted to have it because they thought that was going to be something of the future. So you see Gutenberg when he's working with that hand; it's a color screen, and people are like, "Wow, it's so you know so high tech, <laughs> all this stuff." Um, you know the la- they actually had a laser. And you shooting when you see like his because this is before GPS, so they said that was still you know we talked about <laughs> GPS and begin. Funny enough, in the Star Trek Six um, Undiscovered Country, we talked about why GPS came into being because of the the you know what kicked off the Soviet uh, push against the two Cold Wars was the the that that commercial plane was shot down. Uh, in Soviet space. You have to go listen to that. But that kicked off why GPS came into being and everybody having GPS. So that was future technology in this movie. So when you see them trying to uh, have the telemetry of where Johnny Five is, they said in real time they had a laser drawing it. You know, so you can see it in close-up, like it it moving and all that. So that was kind of ahead of its time at the time. And uh, another issue was that uh, Austin Peddleston has a stuttering problem. So a lot of people do have stuttering issues. And, you know, it's hard to master it. But there was things he couldn't say. Like he couldn't say mother or stat. So when he so in the scene of the movie when they were trying to have him say stat, it was he was having problems. He was trying to like... And it became a joke on set. He's like, I'll say it. And then I find that silly when Gutenberg's like, what's that even mean? It's like you're a genius who designs, you know, uh, these integral parts. You're not going to know what stat means out of the medical world. You yeah. know, so... Well, uh, that's interesting uh, because Peddleton plays, and my cousin Vinny, he plays the lawyer who has a huge stuttering problem that uh, oh. Ralph Macchio's friend ends up going with, the, oh, with okay. another lawyer. <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. And he has a stuttering issue, and that's probably real to life. I mean, you have uh, uh, Steve Harvey, you know, you have a lot of famous people, a lot of famous people, uh, James Earl Jones, Samuel L. Jackson. They talk about huge issues they've had with stuttering and yeah. having to watch out for certain words think, or even people with lists. I think Claude Rains also had a an issue with yeah. stuttering and, and whatnot early on. 
Yeah. So, yeah, Laird, Laird International Studios, it was, so this was an independently funded movie. So they, at the time, had their, the, the studio, the actual, they shot it in Oregon as much as they could. Uh, and then they came down and they shot it in L.A. They shot on the Disney, uh, that fairly famous ranch. That's where they did a lot of, like, the stuff at the beginning and at the end. And then they're at the, I think it's called the Vasquez rock formations which might be where we had masters of the universe and a lot of star trek episodes oh, yeah. it's a very famous shot there so that's the the um the climax of the movie but the sets they built at the the studio that uh, laird had were the sets that cecil b demille and uh david oselznick used so you had king kong citizen kane and gone with the wind were all on the same sets at the time so they were all very you know awestruck because i think they built the whole house the interior and you think about all the money they're dropping that whole the elevator the whole command center where that was all built yeah you know so it's just uh you think of all this tech they're putting into this for this one movie and then okay take it apart fellas well, next movie when you go you know, to uh i think it's sony i think it's sony studios which maybe used to be the old mgm yeah um, there's a room where there's just like props and stuff. You know, it's like a museum kind of at the beginning of the tour, I think. And I, to my recollection, there's a Johnny Five in there, like behind glass. Oh, that's, awesome. oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, I'd love to. <laughs> it just became such a big thing for us. They made up. They made up video game for it. He makes a couple other cameos, but he's just in our psyche, and it's just so. It's so funny how. Uh, he made an impression and then you know we never really got much out of him i never really saw the second one and the second one doesn't have gutenberg it doesn't have um ali sheedy i think there's a uh, like a a wild line or two that she has from the movie but it's basically uh fisher stevens coming back and then you have i think um what's his face um michael mckean as like a dodgy like because it's basically like it gets lost it's home alone too it gets lost in the city and I think it's New York, but it, it might not be New York. And then these criminals find it, and they start doing it for, you know, and and, and what's-his-face is one of the criminals um, who I just said, uh, McKe- Mike McKean. So uh, and, 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 uh, it, it's funny because at the end of the movie, at the end of the commentary, it's something that I've been struggling with lately that kind of since we're talking about themes and embarrassing stuff and uh, or life projections, on the audio commentary, they're watching the movie, and it's the two writers, and it's Batum. And they're sitting there, and it's the end when all these, the, all the army guys come and surround everything. And they're sitting there, and I, I don't know what writer it says. He goes, oh, I feel so bad for those guys. And they start laughing, and they're like, why? What do you mean? He's like, because of the heat, they're running around. He's like, yeah, that too. They're running in fatigues. Because they, they actually had National Guard doing it all. Uh, and he's like, but he's like, uh, what does he say? It's, it's like, he's like, all those actors, he's like, every one of those people, you know, wanting a career and thinking they're going to have this huge career in Hollywood, you know? And it's kind of prophetic where it's like, you're right. Every extra thinks they're going to have this rise to fame, you know, to do for the most part. And it's just so mind blowing. And that's what I end up doing in all these old movies is I end up concentrating on the, yeah. the extras of the people on the street to see what they're doing, if they're acting well or good, you know, um, like we, Blake and I were just talking about this Perry Mason HBO show. There's scenes when they're at the courthouse and they're running down, they're surrounded by people. So there's like scenes in the car where people are beating on the windows. I'm I'm watching the extras outside because, yeah, yeah. you know, they're mimicking, you know, it's, and it's just so weird because they're right. Everybody's looking for their shot, you know, and it's just so, well, it's so mind blowing, you know, it's just <laughs> for, for reasons that Dion knows <laughs> the plight of an actor is something I think a lot about <laughs> and it is yeah, like, yeah. uh, 
it's tough. It's it's tough. And like just recently, I was watching um, TV, and there's the Pepto Bismol commercial where there's like this woman on a plane, and she gets like a her oh, and the little stomach yeah, and then and then like then like the flight attendant starts singing, and then like yeah, the guy steps in with. Like he he's the only guy who gets this close up and he comes in and he's like and they're singing and he's like diarrhea and I was like that poor guy you know he was probably so fucking excited that he got a national commercial called his mom I got booked on a national commercial and then he's got to go and his big his close up is him singing the word diarrhea diarrhea There's, well look at our our acting friend Kevin Bernard he's in that song that was that was in that that PSA. Uh, Answering your pants, you got answering your pants. That that's like a really, it's a maybe it's a New York centric song, but it's about yeah. you know kids will learn theme songs because they're sitting in front of the TV. You know, turn the TV off is the point of the commercial, and they're doing a fake like kind of they look like the four guys. Who are those four dudes that were oh, yeah. really famous with the kids? You know what I mean? Yeah, they're like four guys from like South Australia or whatever. But it's it's like so roundabout is is my point here is like what you're saying it's like i'll watch old westerns and i'm looking at the i'm like wow that guy everybody here is so committed to these parts and then they went to the theater with their loved ones saying mom or honey look look, you're gonna see me come in here i'm gonna i'm gonna trip that was me you know it's like wow you know it's just so it's so crazy there's uh, you know or you're right the one guy gets a one commercial and he's like just says something stupid one of my favorite movies of all time is this movie called hamlet 2 that nobody's seen but yeah uh it's about a, a, a an actor played by Steve Coogan who teaches drama at some like Tucson high school, and in the beginning, it's like showing his acting career, and it's like him getting a him in an episode of Xena, just getting like beat up, and it's like narration because Steve Coogan does an amazing Jeremy Irons impression. So the movie's kind of like narrated by Jeremy Irons, but it's really Steve Coogan doing a Jeremy Irons impression. So it's like it's fabulous. It's like Jeremy Irons' voice talking about like acting, you know, in a very serious way, and it's showing like yeah. him in an infomercial trying to make a smoothie, or it's like he's walking <laughs> with a girl and he's like uh, he's walking with a woman by like the beach and he stops at the camera. He's like, uh, you know, like. Uh, I have herpes, but you'd never know it. <laughs> Thanks, Hepicel. And it's like a herpes commercial. But yeah, it's... Well, it's just so... I mean, I end up... I track these actors. There's, there's, there's a couple people I start to see. There's like three or four people. I'm like, hey, it's that guy again. You know what's And, and it's, it's funny seeing them... Like, you have all these commercials now for... Um, for, for pills to take, you know, and they have all these side effects, you know, and they have half the commercials just, you know, you're going to die if you take it for the side effects. Yeah. If you mute, mute the commercial, I love these little, they do these vignettes where it's like uh, the woman, it's the woman having the issue, but then she's able to get over her issue because she's taking the pill. And then the back half of the commercial over all the side effects is her, whoever it is going on in an adventure. They're going out to dinner with the, with the kids yeah. or they're getting on their bike and they're exploring. They're, they're, they're paddling in the water or they're, you know, they're doing something they can't do. You know? So I always love what, putting it on mute and then watching all these actors like, oh, look, you know, this person's got a featured shot. Well, a lot of those people, you know, it's that guy a again. lot of the people featured in these medication commercials are people that we all know from, but it's hard to recognize. I remember one was the, I've seen one was the woman who, was like that really attractive woman from Buck Rogers, who may have also been on Silver oh Spoons. 
Uh, she was in one of oh those. Oh my god, I'm in love with her. Uh, I know who you're talking. It's Aaron. Aaron something. And uh, she's gorgeous. That was for a couple years ago. I remember I recognized her, and then just recently, I we were you and I were texting about head of the class for some reason, and I said the girl who plays the redhead girl in the class, like the prep, like the you know, like the preppy girl in, in the class. She's in a commercial now where she's the mom well, a couple years ago a couple years ago we i was seeing a lot of um the gentleman whose name escapes me who played um uh in this the richard donner star uh superman movies he played um uh what's what's his what's his jimmy olsen oh yeah that guy i was seeing in a bunch of commercials in the past couple of years maybe like five years ago, he was in two or three different commercials where he was like handling a camera and talking to the sure. camera about stuff i'm like oh it's so you're right it's like sometimes these people they don't you know, they, they end up going into commercial work because that's the jobs they can get. And it's like, oh, look who it is. You know, it's so it's it's pretty funny. So. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the novels are really good read. I mean, it's even good enough where like if you show this to a kid or child and the child really loved it and they're a young adult, I'd even say, hey, grab the novelization for them because it's a really nice, enjoyable read. And it's I, again, I like it because it is family orientated. You can leave the kid in front of the TV here. Uh, that's f- good nowadays. Um, the owners of the house. Uh, they were an elderly couple. The house they got to shoot in, and they were very apprehensive. But but they they used to go up. I guess uh, they spend their summers in Alaska fishing. So that's why they just gave the house to them to film, which was nice because they were so happy they were able to get this house, this picturesque house where it is overlooking the bridge and all that. Um, and then Tom Makowitz, the writer, he was the guy who came up with. They were having a. They were um, the director. Uh, Badham was having lunch with him uh, maybe about something else and they were talking about this script and they talked about the situation where Johnny Five walks in on Ali Sheedy taking a bath. So Tom Mankiewicz's line was, hey, nice software. So he stole that from Mankiewicz to put that in the movie. Um, so yeah, I think that's really basically everything from um, that I can think of from the movie, per, uh, from, the, from the novelization per se, I found it is- interesting. Oh, and there's another thing that's interesting too. She takes a chalkboard off when she first meets the, the, the f- meets him in, you know, she has, she meets him in a, tr- a food truck. So she grabs the chalkboard that has, you know, the specials and she wipes it off. So she starts keeping a log where she's like, um, you know, 1017, you know, met the alien. 1037, alien learns to read. You know, 605, alien starts talking and making sense. So it was funny she was keeping a log on this um uh on this chalkboard and then uh like i said you know uh chigger c-h-i-g-g-r uh he's not as funny the uh uh, fisher stevens character uh in the movie um and then there was what in 2015 to to put a a cap on that other conversation there was that comedian from parks and rec who is of indian descent he sought out fisher stevens aziz and sorry yeah and he said like he 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 didn't like him for many years because he didn't like the exploitation of the character but he but they both had a conversation and fisher stevens explained that he wasn't trying to do it in any kind of you know uh uh, morose or you know any kind of uh the condescending way and then the other guy said they both agreed that that if this was ever remade again, they should have it be played by a person of Indian descent, which I completely agree with and understand. But I thought also that it was just that guy's way of trying to get the role. <laughs> he's trying, he's like, you know, <laughs> and I'll do it, <laughs> you know, you know, because I guess a couple of years ago, there was speculation that they were going to redo this in 2008 or nine. There were people attached. They had a, uh, a couple things going. Uh, uh, it was going to be kind of a reboot, a reboot where uh, the plot involved a boy, from a broken family uh, befriending Johnny Five the robot 
and then uh, you know you had a, a couple. Steve Carr, the director, was a part of the project. Tim Hill, another director, because uh, Dimension Films had got the rights in twenty two thousand eight. So uh, that would have been pretty cool. Um, uh, I guess we could have did the double feature and threw the second one in here if we had thought about it because it's such a little kind of a property. But maybe down the line when we go back to the summer of sequels, <laughs> we can do yeah, maybe. a quick little thing. And it's and this ended up in 86. This ended up doing better than Pretty in Pink, The Fly, Cronenberg's The Fly, Three Amigos, Little Shop of Horrors, and About Last Night. Um, so that's an, And then um, David Shire... Uh, won a BMI uh, award for, for his soundtrack. And uh, they released the soundtrack, I think, in 2008, but it doesn't have any of the uh, pop on it, you know, or the Who's Johnny song. It just has his, his very interesting computerized um, version of stuff uh, going on. So, yes, a lot of interesting things in this movie. A lot of um, cool, th- a, lot of, like, a, a lot of fun, st- a lot of GMC cars and trucks for me. You see that little RV from... Uh, from uh, Die Hard, the little police, they're all those army guys driving those little tanks around. Those are fun for me. So, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's, it was fun revisiting this and then seeing all these different, like, plot points. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting movie because so many of these kind of stories would have went the other way that we've talked about yeah. for two hours about as opposed to this where it's very positive and uplifting. And, it, it's, and you know, it really gives me the idea of, oh, they're going to move to Montana and it's so lovely and maybe they're all out there and Johnny Five's helping feed the animals at the beginning and all that stuff. So, you know. Let's hope they don't reboot it and turn it into like a Logan where like, you know, Johnny Five's like falling apart and he's trying to keep <laughs> Steve Gutenberg alive. You know, it's like you know, some kind of fun thing. But uh, I would love to see another incarnation of Johnny Five. I mean, I wouldn't want them to reboot it and turn him, ter- make him look different. I'd love to somehow keep Johnny Five looking relatively the same, you know, like how they did with Wally almost. And, you know, I think the world can use a Johnny Five right now because life is not a malfunction. Right, Blake? Absolutely. As I put the noose around my neck. <laughs> yeah. So... Bad joke. I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed this quite a bit revisiting this, and it was fun. And I think everybody did a fair point, a fair parts in this movie. Uh, and um, yeah, I think that's about all that we have, right? For this, uh, is there anything else you want to kick off on? No. Uh, uh, Beatrice and uh, Elmer Schmidt is the name of the elderly couple. Just in case people were wondering that when they uh, when he throws the transponder. And they're like, hide the dope. That's the na- their character's name. Interesting. If you ever needed to know. Yeah. Uh, and then that all changed to the bar they go into when they meet up is not the bar, the, the cowboy western bar in the movie. That was something, you know, they invented while they were doing it. In the movie, it's more of like a roadhouse in the middle of nowhere in the desert kind of a thing that they meet up in. You know, it's not where the ex-boyfriend took her. You know, so... Well, that was fun. I hope people remember Short Circuit. I'm sure people certainly of our age do, but uh, for the younger demographic of people who listen to this show, uh, this is certainly something I think you can go watch and have some fun with. Uh, It is available. It's not one of these movies that have kind of um, been lost to the annals of time. Uh, But I think this is even something, if you're old enough to have children, you can watch this with, you know, this is great, great family-friendly fare. Absolutely. I, I concur. Yeah. I concur, Captain. So, um, and then I loved it, the when I was little. I loved uh, Battlestar Galactica, the robots in that. You know, the Cylons. With yeah. the, they had the Night Rider kind of thing, and I loved their voices. You know, and then he was brings you to Beastie Boys, Intergalactic Planetary, and I love that all the other uh, Johnny Fives had that voice. You know, exterminate. 
you know that whatever that is that and then you know they or when they shoot the lasers it's the proton pack ghostbusters kind of sound <laughs> yeah you know like you notice stuff and you're like hey you know that voice sounds familiar or hey that sound effects that we're you know you can't place it so half the movie i was trying to place that sound effect you know and it's the proton pack thing so um yeah it was fun 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 until daddy takes the car keys away so well it's getting late blake it's, it's another late evening of us singing Baba Streisand songs and uh, talking about uh, old recollecting. Uh, I remember my old recollecting, my old, old times. Oh, was a, how they go. It's a hell of an evening. Yeah. And where's the time going? Why are we getting so old so quickly? I don't get I it. I don't know. You know, it's starting to really disturb me. Sleeping on I'm the starting to really, you know, with sleeping on the floor. <laughs> sleeping on the floor. Tough. Ain't like it used to be. You know, I've got a, <laughs> I'm still mending this broken clavicle. And, uh, you know, and it's just like you said, you know, we're, we're not we're not 18 years old anymore. So we're starting to creak in and it's just uh, it's just getting annoying, you know. Uh, yeah. Getting old sucks. So I don't know. <laughs> Happy note to end uh, this. Show. <laughs> <laughs> but I still see myself as the 18 year old. I'm running around like it's nobody's business, you know. Uh, and then, it, you know, I start realizing it at work when all the like the, you know, like the. Uh, pretty girls that are younger than me don't look at me anymore they just must look at me as a oh he's a fatherly figure he's or whatever I'm, like, I'm that age now yeah i'm the old guy i'm the you know i'm the old guy that's a weirdo you know so it's just uh it's sad um but i i refuse to believe that blake i still think it's just it's only uh a breath away from us living together or getting in the car and jamming out to bb king or uh yeah. you know uh, fucking Black Sabbath and all this stuff yeah. and you know well, so us telling all of our dirty jokes somebody on Twitter you know. posted you know people were responding to it like in your head like what age are you and in my head like I'm the age I think we've had this discussion I'm the age I was when I met you is what in my head I've never progressed past college so I've always been the college age I am and it seems like it's flew by I mean you know being in a long term relationship or uh, just post college life it's amazing that I've, you know, been at my day job for almost 20 years. So it just, everything just starts going really quick. And you're like, wow, you know, this is really, I'm still trying to grow a full beard here. I know. <laughs> we've, owned, we've known each other so, for over 20 years. We've, we've known each other longer than we've, we were old when we, when we, when met, we met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's just, so, and it's a, and we were in the analog world, you know, it was back when things were simpler. You know, I think that I personally think the internet ruined everything, but that's just me. God damn you, so, internet. Uh, yeah. And then I've been having really bad revelations about, you know, it's like almost a midlife crisis about the state of cinema and the state of our art where you and I have, we've put so much love and passion into trying to like, you know, be artists and we want to make movies and at what point are you like you know how many more years are we just going to keep trying you know we've been doing stuff but we just need to just do it before we die so uh my point i'm thinking now like what's the point it's just uh <laughs> you know <laughs> what's that point so but anyway um this was fun it was a, gr a great trip down memory lane it, it kind of uh linked us to like the fx movies uh, what did we do last month uh, Bill, and, Bill Ted, and Ted, you know, it's all very, you know, uh, we got a, a fun one because next month is, oh, we and then we we had our Terminator uh, update podcast, which people really enjoyed, the novelization, which we had recorded, 
and we put out. Uh, that was really fun. And Blake and I were thinking maybe we might do a little more of those. Um, you know, someone suggested us doing the thing. And uh, for a long period of time, Blake's been trying to figure out another way for us to do the thing on the podcast because we're such big fans of Carpenter and the thing. Yeah. Maybe maybe that'd be something to do down the road. Um, yeah, maybe. That'd so, you know. Angle. So, yeah, that'd be fun. So we're just thinking of stuff. And next, week, next month is our anniversary of the podcast. So that's going to be fun. We've got a. We've is got that a the big, sixth uh, anniversary? Yes, 2014 was when we started. So this would be the sixth anniversary, and uh, we've got a we've got a two disker we're going to be doing next next week. Um, you know, no no Francis Ford Coppola. We're not doing like a Godfather or an Apocalypse Now, but we got a we got a big two disker we're going to do. It's going to be fun. It's going to be right in the um, the fair of what we've covered before in the past, which we've been like Batman, Rocketeer, Superman two. Uh, the shadow. Um, uh, we had another Raiders, one in there. Uh, uh, Lo- Raiders of Lost Ark. You know, so so I think if it kind of fits neatly into that into that niche, so uh, that might be fun for everybody. You know, and uh, we might have some exciting updates next month. E- next month as well. Um, Blake, what are you doing in your spare time aside from working your butt off at home? Just uh, working and. Uh Finishing up Scored to Death 2, more conversations with some of Horror's greatest composers, and, uh, you know, got some other things cooking that I can't announce yet, but, uh... Hey, good looking. What you got cooking? We'll see. Just keeping busy. That's nice. Yourself? That's good. At least you're keeping busy, right? Uh, Same thing, keeping busy. Uh, Wrapped on doing a movie, funny enough, that maybe could be out at the end of fall. Uh, it's a John Schneider production called Stand On It. It's a, a homage to good old cult classic Smokey and the Bandit. So if you are a Smokey and the Bandit fan or a fan of like 70s car movies like that, you will love this. Uh, and it's got some fun people in it. And I was uh, lucky enough to, to be a part, take, have a pretty funny part in it where I do what I do best, make myself look like an asshole. And, um, you know, so it's fun times. That's happening. And I got my new book which I'm in the process of editing right now. Uh, It's going to be a real period pulp whodunit. Uh, And that should be out hopefully early next year. Um, And then I'm, you know, working on other stuff right now too. And, uh, you know, so I've also got uh, my book right now, Blood in the Streets. You can get that. It's uh, available on ebook, audiobook, and paperback. You can get that from Amazon or wherever books are sold. If you want an autographed copy of it, you can contact me, and I'd be uh, very obliged to do that for you. Uh, it's funny enough, in the, in the days we are living in nowadays, it seems more relevant than ever, the, uh, the story in the book as related to what's happening in real life, because um, it's kind of a historical fiction thriller set in the 70s. So if you want, check that out. Uh, and... Uh, Good times and great oldies. Uh, and you like us, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. <laughs> you got the, our website you can go to. You got Facebook. You got Instagram. You got Twitter. Like us, share us, uh, befriend us, uh, send us comments, uh, interact with us because we are sitting there. We're like nine, one eight hundred operators. You, you know, you, you send us a message, we get right back to you. <laughs> uh, either one of us, or sometimes both of us, not realizing. Well, somebody will message us, and we'll sometimes both see it independently, start writing back as answering for the site and then bang at the same time you have two different messages go up about the same thing that are not signed because we're both <laughs> trying to do the other's job you know so that's fun too so we love interacting with everybody it's become such a great big family for yeah. us of people that we've um you know i've facebook friended a lot of these 
uh, friends too. So they become my Facebook friends. So, you know, it's, we have a very nice blossoming community, uh, of, of film lovers and lovers of nostalgia, uh, of what we like. So it's just really nice when, you know, we're, we're in those days of, of, of depression and just being like, what, what the hell's life about? Well, we can look at this stuff and be like, Oh, it's great to have all these people who are out there too, who have the same passions we have about transformers, GI Joe, Johnny quest, or freaking, uh, you know, um, 21 Jump Street or MacGyver. <laughs> Absolutely. So, or a short circuit, right? Or short circuit. Yeah, so. Anyway. That's all. I think it's time for bed. <laughs> yeah, Blake's falling asleep over there. I'm like, I'm still talking, and Blake's mom's like, are you guys done yet? Are you guys done yet? Maybe we'll have my dad come on next month because, my, you know, since we're doing the cast from my basement, maybe we'll have my dad come in. Uh, well, we, we don't want to bait him, yeah. make a lot of noise to the point where he's he's coming down. But, you know, we do get excited when we do the big ones, you know. So at this point, my dad's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, uh, all righty. Well, have a happy summer. Stay cool. Stay safe. Stay warm. And we will see you very soon. Later. Later.